This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wal-a'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa-ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lahu waliyu salihin. وأشهد أن نبينا وسيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So today is the 17th day of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم And so this is the 17th session of the reading and the commentary of Tafsir al-Jalalin by the two Jalals, Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti alayhima rahmatullahi ta'ala and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to begin with the recitation of Surah Al-Mu'minun which is at the beginning of the 18th Juz of the Qur'an but before we do so yesterday I asked a question concerning the verse in Surah Al-Hajj which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning the length of the days in his sight subhanahu wa ta'ala وَإِنَّ يَوْمًا عِنْدَ رَبِّكَ كَأَلْفِ سَنَةٍ مِمَّا تَعُدُّونَ And indeed a day in the sight of your Lord is like a thousand from that which you count. And I said that there is another verse in the Quran in Surah Al-Ma'arij in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also speaking about such a day says فِي يَوْمٍ كَانَ مِقْدَارُهُ خَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةٍ On a day its length will be 50,000 years. And there is a clear marked difference between a thousand years and fifty thousand years. So how do we understand those two numbers as they are mentioned in the Quran? Amongst the scholars of Islam there are those who take the approach of we do not know. Allah knows best. This is from the knowledge that Allah Azza wa has kept with himself. And from amongst the early scholars of Islam who it is reported held that position is the famous scholar and student amongst the companions, a student of the companions. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib rahimahullahu ta'ala from the students of Abu Huraira and many Aisha many of the other companions radiyallahu anhum the second uh, approach to this question is what is mentioned as being the statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma amongst others from the scholars of tafsir and that is the thousand years that are being mentioned in surah al-Hajj refer to the creation of the heavens and the earth so a day in the creation of the heavens and the earth when Allah first created them in the six days in which he created the heavens and the earth their length was a thousand years each by our reckoning today the way that we would count a millennium that is how Allah Azza wa Jal counted a single day and as for the 50,000 years then that refers to Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the day of judgment so the 1,000 is at the beginning of creation and the 50,000 years will be on the day of judgment the third approach amongst some of the scholars of tafsir is that both of those numbers refer to Yawm Al-Qiyamah both of them, the thousand years and the fifty thousand years both of them refer to the day of judgment and they said that the, the difference is that the thousand year reckoning is for the believers on that day and the fifty thousand years is for the disbelievers meaning that for the mu'mineen, for the believers Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the counting for all of them together will be the length of a thousand years. So the length of the day is 50,000 years, but that 50,000 years is for the disbelievers. As for the believers, they will be done in a very short period of time. 
And there are some narrations mentioned in the Sunnah that seem to show that the accounting of the believers will be like the time between Asr and Maghrib prayer. And there is a verse in Surah Al-Furqan that I think inshallah ta'ala today we will be able to uh, reach that point that some of the scholars use as an evidence for this point that the accounting of the believers will be far shorter. And Al-Mahalli, rahimahullah, the scholar whose book that we're going through actually makes a point of that at that relevant verse towards the beginning of Surah Al-Furqan. So the point there being, therefore being that Allah Azza wa Jal tells the disbelievers that for them that day will be extremely long. فَذَٰلِكَ يَوْمَئِذٍ يَوْمٌ عَسِيرٌ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ غَيْرُ يَسِيرٌ Allah says in Surah Al-Mudathir for them that will be an extremely difficult day not easy upon the disbelievers. For as for the believers then it is from the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal and His favor upon them that for them it is relatively quick and easy and that is from the ways that Allah Azza wa Jal will bless them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So inshallah today and with that we begin with the tafsir of Surah Al-Mu'minun. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma gfir li shaykhina wa li walidina wa li jami'il muslimin. Amma ba'd, qal al-musallifu rahimahullahu ta'ala fi tafsir Surah Al-Mu'minun. This surah is Mecca. It has 118 or 119 ayat and was sent down after Al-Anbiya. So Surah Al-Mu'minun is the 23rd Surah of the Qur'an and Al-Mu'minun means the believers. It is named after the believers. And it consists of 118 verses according to our Mus'haf. And as the author Ta'ala says, it is a Makki Surah. And that is the opinion of one of the scholars of Tafsir as Al-Qurtubi Ta'ala mentioned Al-Baghawi, Ibn Kathir and others. That it is a Makkan Surah. A'udhu Billahi min shaytani rajim بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قد أفلح المؤمنون. It is the believers who are successful. This is a definite statement. In verse number one, Allah subhanahu wa taala mentions the story or mentions the beginning of the surah with the word قد. And قد is from the words in the Arabic language to show, uh, to show تأكيد, to show uh, definitiveness, that something is indeed or verily or certainly that situation. And from the surahs that also begin with the word Qad is Surah Al-Mujadila. Qad sami'allahu qawla allati tujadiluka fi zawjiha. So the word Qad is to show that something is definite. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions this at the beginning and says that the believers are indeed successful. Are surely or certainly successful. In the hadith in Al-Hakim and it's also mentioned in Al-Adab Al-Mufrad of Imam Al-Bukhari rahimahullah. The statement of Aisha radiallahu anha when she was asked to describe the character of the Prophet and we know the famous wording of the hadith and she said that his character was the Qur'an in one of the weddings of the hadith though she said read the first 10 verses of Surah Al-Mu'minun that is the character of the Prophet for the Prophet his character was the Qur'an and so these 10 statements these 10 verses of the opening passage of Surah Al-Mu'minun are the attributes and the characteristics that the believers should abide by and should have so that they can reach Jannah because Allah concludes this opening passage by saying they are those who will inherit Al-Firdaus. Those who are humble in their prayer. And that is their first description that they have khushu' 
in the prayer. And for sure is that they have attentiveness, concentration, that when they turn to the prayer, they turn with it with all of their mind and their heart focusing on that act of worship. Those who turn away from worthless talk and other worthless activities. And that includes every type of vain speech, from shirk all the way down to what is considered to be a waste of time. The believers are those people who don't waste their time on vain speech unless there is some benefit in it. So when they sit and have just a general conversation with their family members, with their friends, it is with the intention that they're joining the ties of kinship, that they're joining the ties of their friendship and so on. There is always a purpose behind their speech. They are not people who speak without any cause or any need. Those who pay zakat. In verse number 4, Allah just says, those who pay zakah, and that is something which we've already mentioned before concerning the importance of zakah and its nature as a pillar of Islam. The question here though, however, is we just said that this surah is a Makki surah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they pay zakah, and we all know that zakah was only obligated after the hijrah. The only act of worship that was obligated before the hijrah was the salah and fasting, hajj, zakah, or post-hijrah, after the hijrah. So then how, for, how do we understand this verse? The approach of some of the scholars is to say that the meaning of zakah here is not the zakah of wealth, because zakah literally means to purify. It's not the zakah of wealth, but the zakah of character and the soul. That there are those who seek to purify themselves. That is the meaning. And the other meaning is, which is the approach taken by Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, and others, that refers to the zakah of wealth. And he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, and Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin in his tafsir points to this as well. They say that the origin of zakah, the principle of zakah, was obligated in the Meccan period. But what became obligated in the Medinan period was all of the details. So they were told that you must give zakah, you must give some of your wealth in charity. But it wasn't defined how much and in who are the recipients and in what form that zakah must take. All of those details come later. But the general principle of zakah is something which is known amongst them. And that is a strong opinion because we know that even in the time of the Meccan period, the companions and, 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 and the Prophet used to have other types of worship that weren't necessarily obligatory until later on, but that they would perform them as a means of coming closer to Allah Azza wa Jal, and Allah knows best. Those who guard their private parts from doing what is unlawful. Except from their wives or those they honor slaves, in which case they are not blameworthy in approaching them. But those who desire anything more than that, than wives and slaves or masturbation, are people who have gone beyond the limits to what is not lawful for them. And this is the position of many of the scholars, they use verses. 5, 6, and 7 as a proof to show that, it is, that masturbation is haram in Islam. That is one of the proofs that they use based upon these verses. Those who honor their trusts, read as amanatihim and amanatihim, and their contracts, meaning contracts made with one with another, and also the contracts be, between themselves and Allah in respect of the prayer and other duties. Those who safeguard their prayers, read as salawatihim and salatihim, 
and perform them at their times. In verse number 9, Allah Azzawajal, after mentioning all of these characteristics, returns to the first one, which is the Salah. And Allah says that they preserve the prayer. So therefore, what is the difference between verse number 2, they are humble in their prayer, have khushu' in their Salah, and verse number 9, that they safeguard their prayers. And one of those approaches is that the first mention of Salah in verse 2 is concerning the inner state of Salah, that they are attentive, that they are people who have khushu' in their Salah. And the second mention in verse 9 is concerning the physical aspects of Salah. They safeguard the timing, they make wudu correctly. When they pray, they pray correctly according to the sunnah. They fulfill its obligations and its pillars. And they pray in the manner in which salah has been legislated. And the fact that Allah Azza wa began with verse 2 and he prioritized the inner state over the outer state is because a person is rewarded according to their intention. And that is why the Prophet told us وسلم, that perhaps a person will pray and they only take half of their prayer or a quarter of their prayer or a third of their prayer. And there are people who will pray and take nothing from their prayer. Meaning that they offer the action of prayer but they take nothing from its reward because of how absent-minded they are in that salah. Such people are the inheritors and no others. Will inherit Firdaus, one of the gardens of paradise, remaining in it timelessly forever in the next world. And as we mentioned in towards the end of Surah Al-Kahf, this is the second mention of the word Al-Firdaus in relation to paradise. And Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala mentions that the word Firdaus can relate or can refer to Jannah more generically, or as is more commonly known, that it refers to a particular level in, in paradise. And that is that it is its highest level and in the middle of Jannah and above it is the throne of Allah and from it to all of the rivers of Jannah come. We created man, meaning Adam, from the purest kind of clay. The word for purest kind, sulala, is what is extracted from a thing. It's quintessence. And then made him, meaning the progeny of Adam, a drop in a secure receptacle, meaning the womb. Then formed the drop into a clot of congealed blood and formed the clot into a lump of flesh and formed the lump into bones, but as a and Ab. And clothed the bones, but again as Iwam and Ab in flesh. And then brought him into being as another creature by breathing the ruh into him. So blessed be Allah, the best of creators, the best of determiners in his knowledge. In verse number 14, Allah Azzawajal goes through the stations or the stages of creation of how a person comes into being. And the different recitations that he mentions of the word bones is the singular and the plural. Adam is the singular. Ivan is the plural. At the end of that verse, Allah Azzawajal says, الخالقين. So blessed be Allah, the best of creators. And the uh, commentary, I think, and I believe it is a mistranslation. The scholars of tafsir have two approaches as to the meaning of the best of creators. Number one is physical creation and the actual act of creation that Allah is the best of those who create and those who shapes and those who fashions. And that is the position taken by Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala amongst others. The second is that it refers to Allah's decree. Allah is the best of those who decrees creation. 
And that is what Al-Mahalli is referring to. So it's not about determining it with his knowledge, but it is that he decrees it subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the position that was taken also by Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shawqiti rahimahullahu ta'ala. Then subsequently you will certainly die. Then on the day of rising you will be raised again for the reckoning and the repayment. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ سَبْعَ طَرَائِقَ وَمَا كُنَّا عَنِ الْخَلْقِ غَافِلِينَ We created above you seven levels, meaning heavens, the paths of the angels, and we were not unaware of the creation of what was under them, and would not allow them to come unraveled. Allah holds them in place, as is stated in the ayah, He holds back the heaven, preventing it from falling to the earth. وَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً بِقَدَرٍ فَأَسْكَنَّاهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ We sent down a measured amount of water from heaven, which will be enough for mankind, and lodged it firmly in the earth. وَإِنَّا عَلَى ذَهَابٍ بِهِ لَقَادِرُونَ And we are well able to remove it. In that case, they and their animals will die of thirst. فَأَنشَأْنَا لَكُمْ بِهِ جَنَّاتٍ مِّن نَخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ لَكُمْ فِيهَا فَوَاكِهُ كَثِيرَةٌ وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ By means of it we produce gardens of dates and grapes for you, the kinds which in the eyes of the Arabs contain the greatest amount of fruit, in which there are many fruits for you, and from which you eat in both summer and winter. وَشَجَرَةً تَخْرُجُ مِنْ طُولِ سَيْنَاءَةً بُتُوا بِالدُّهْنِ وَصِبْغٍ لِلْآكِلِينَ And we created a tree springing forth from Mount Sinai, read as Sina and Sina. It is not declined since it is a place, yielding oil and a seasoning to those who eat. This is the olive tree, whose oil is used as a condiment as well as being an oil for cooking and other things. وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ لَعِبَارَةً and there is certainly a lesson, meaning a warning, which should be heeded for you in your livestock, meaning camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. نُسْقِيكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهَا وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَنَافِعُ كَثِيرَةٌ وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ We give you to drink, read as نُسْقِيكُمْ نَسْقِيكُمْ نُسْقِيكُمْ تَسْقِيكُمْ we give you to drink from what is in their bellies, meaning milk, and there are many ways in which you benefit from them, making use of their wool, hair, fur, skin, and other things, and some of them you eat. And you are conveyed on them, meaning camels, and on ships as well. وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا نُوحًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ فَقَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ we sent Nuh to his people and he said, My people, worship Allah, obey Allah and affirm his unity. You have no God other than him. So will you not be God-fearing? Meaning, do you not fear his punishment when you worship other than him? In verse number 23, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again mentions the story of the Prophet Nuh, alayhi salatu wassalam. And the opening passage of this surah, as you can see, speaks about Allah azza wa blessings in terms of his creation. In terms of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given mankind from the many blessings of animals and of the earth and the heavens and trees and plants and vegetation and so on. And then Allah Azza wa Jalla will mention how once again there are in the stories of those who came before us the examples of those who take and ignore those blessings of Allah by turning away from Allah, disbelieving in Allah, not being grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions the story of the Prophet Nuh alayhi salam. 
فقال الملأ الذين كفروا من قومه ما هذا إلا بشر مثلكم يريد أن يتفضل عليكم The ruling circle of those of his people who disbelieved said to their followers, This is nothing but a human being like yourselves who simply wants to gain ascendancy over you, so that he is followed and you become his followers. If Allah had wished that no one but himself be worshipped, he would have sent angels down for that rather than human beings. We never heard of anything like this religion to which North calls among our ancestors. The earlier peoples, meaning past nations. And this was a very similar argument made by the Quraysh to the Prophet ﷺ. That you have come and you split our religion, you've forsaken the way of our forefathers, you curse our gods and so on and so forth. The fact that they've never heard of it before, they use as a justification. Rather than looking at it in terms of its, its proofs and its evidences and whether it is something that Allah Taala would decree. إن هو إلا رجل به جنة فتربصوا به حتى حين. He meaning Nuh is nothing but a man possessed meaning mad. So wait a while and see what happens to him. Meaning you will see that he will die. قال رب صرني بما كذبون. He Nuh said, My Lord, help me against them because of their calling me a liar. Meaning their denial of me and assertion that you will never destroy them. فَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْهِ أَنِ اصْنَعِ الْفُلْكَ بِأَعْيُنِنَا وَوَحْيِنَا We revealed to him, build the ship under our supervision and our protection, and as we revealed and commanded. فَإِذَا جَاءَ أَمْرُنَا وَفَارَتَ النُّورُ فَاسْلُكْ فِيهَا مِنْ كُلٍ زَوْجَيْنِ اثْنَيْنِ وَأَهْلَكَ إِلَّا مَنْ سَبَقَ عَلَيْهِ الْقَوْلُ مِنْهُمْ when our command to destroy the unbelievers comes and water bubbles up from the earth or in one interpretation from a bread oven and water emerging from it was a sign for Nuh. Load into it, meaning the ship, a pair, meaning male and female, of every species, read as min kulli zawjainithnain and min kullin zawjainithnain. The story is recounted that Allah gathered for Nuh the wild animals, birds and all other creatures and he patted each species with his hands, putting his right hand on the male and left on the female and loaded them in the ship and your family, meaning wife and children, except for those among them against whom the word of destruction has already gone ahead. This is a reference to his wife and his son, Kanaan, but not his sons, Sam, Ham, and Yafith. Those three and their wives were in the ship. Allah says in Surah Hud, and all who believed, but those who believed with him were only a few. It is also said that there were six men and their wives, and it is said that there were a total of 78 people in the ship, half of whom were men and half women. وَلَا تُخَاطِبْنِي فِي الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا And do not address me concerning those who do wrong, asking for those who disbelieve not to be destroyed. إِنَّهُمْ مُغْرَقُونَ They shall be drowned. In verse 27, again the author Taala goes into this detail that we covered when we mentioned the story of Nuh in Surah Hud. And the reason why it's being repeated again in detail is because there are two different authors. In Surah Hud, there was a Suyuti rahimahullah going through that detail. And now, it is Al-Mahalli. Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And we mentioned that Allah Azza wa Jal when He says, فَإِذَا جَاءَ أَمْرُنَا وَفَارَتْ تَنُّورِ When our command comes and you see the water bubbling up from the tannur, we mentioned the different opinions amongst the scholars with tafsir, and that this was the sign that now Nuh and the believers should embark upon the ark because the flood was coming. And we mentioned that Allah Azza wa Jal will mention in Surah Al-Qamar how the rain will descend from the sky and how the water gushed forth from the springs of the earth. The tannur 
as Al-Mahdi says, there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to what it refers to. The two most common opinions is that number one, as you see in the translation, water bubbles up from the earth. When you see water rising on the face of the earth, that is a sign. Or the other one, which is a more literal understanding in tafsir, and the one chosen by many of the scholars, therefore, of tafsir, is that it refers to the literal tenor, which is the clay oven that is fixed on the ground that they used to cook upon. So when you see water bubbling from that clay oven, that is a sign that the water is coming. And that seems more apparent and Allah knows best, because it is a sign for him that he needs to hasten. And so it coming out from the oven is a sign for him, as opposed to the water already being on the face of the earth, which is the beginning of the flood. So he has the time to go and prepare himself and those who are with him. And we mentioned before that these are all uh, or many of this is Israelite traditions in terms of him putting his right hand and the left hand and how many people were with him. But clearly Allah Azza wa Jalla, as he says in Surah Hud, He will be from amongst those who have only few followers. And we know from the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that there will be prophets who will come on the Day of Judgment with only three followers. And a prophet who will come with only two and a prophet with only one. And a prophet of Allah that will come on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with not a single follower. And we mentioned the story of his son in Surah Hud, the story of Kana'an. And the scholars named the three sons that did believe in him, as you see in front of you, Sam, Ham, and Yafith. And in the books of biography and Bidayah and Nihaya and history and others, you will see from that that they say that then every single nation that came after the time of Nuh comes from the line of these three sons, Sam, Ham, and Yafith. So whether you're Byzantine, whether you're Persian, whether you're from the far east, from the Turk, whether you're from whatever you are, you come from one of those three tribes, including the tribe of Ya'juj and Ma'juj, they follow their lineage back to one of these three sons of Nuh and Allah knows best. فإذا استويت أنت ومن معك على الفلك فقل الحمد لله الذي نجانا من القوم الظالمين When you and those with you are settled in the ship, then say, Praise be to Allah who has rescued us from the people of the wrongdoers, meaning the unbelievers, and destroyed them. And say, when you alight from the ship, My Lord, land me in a blessed landing place, read as Munzel and Menzil. This, this may mean either that the landing itself or that the place where the landing took place is blessed. You are the best bringer to land. In verse number 29, this dua of Nuh alayhi salam, Rabbi anzilni munzalan mubaraka or manzilan mubaraka. The difference between the two is that manzil is the place. So the translation that we have here in the English is actually for the other qira'ah, not the qira'ah that we read. Manzil is making a blessed landing place. Munzal, which is the reading that we have in Hafs, means landing. Make it a blessed landing and make the place where I rest also a blessed place of landing. So one is about the place and one is about the actual action. It is the verb. There are signs in that which has been mentioned about Nuh and the ship and the destruction of the unbelievers which indicate the power of Allah Almighty. We are always putting people to the test. In this case, testing them by sending Nuh to them and his warning them. Then we raised up another generation after them, meaning the people of Ad. In verse 31, Allah says, Then we raised up another generation after them. 
The author rahimahullah ta'ala says the people of Ad, and this is one opinion, and from those who chose this opinion, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala. The other opinion is that it is the people of Thamud, as was chosen by Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala. And the reason for the difference of opinion is because Allah Azza doesn't name these people, this nation. And usually in the stories of the Quran, when Nuh is mentioned, which Prophet comes after him? Usually, it is Nuh, it is Hud And that is why Al-Mahalli ibn Kathir and others said, it is Nuh. But Imam Al-Tabari has an issue with that, and he says in verse uh, 41 of this story, Allah Azza when he speaks about the destruction of these people, he says they came to them a sayha, a blast or a scream from the sky. And Allah Azza wa in the Quran when he speaks about the people of Hud and he describes their destruction, he describes it as the fierce wind that came and not the blast and scream. And so therefore he says, based upon what we know from the Quran, it is the people of Thamud who were destroyed in that way. And that is why you have this difference of opinion. Ibn Kathir responds and says it's possible that they were destroyed with both the wind and the scream as Allah mentions about Madian and others that they were destroyed with a number of punishments. But that's why you have this difference of opinion, and Allah Azza wa knows best. فَأَرْسَلْنَا فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْهُمْ أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ And sent a messenger, meaning Hud, to them from themselves. Worship Allah, you have no God other than Him. أَفَلَا تَتَّقُونَ So, will you not be God-fearing? Meaning, will you not fear His punishment and believe? وَقَالَ الْمَلَأُ مِنْ قَوْمِهِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَكَذَّبُوا بِلِقَاءِ الْآخِرَةِ وَأَتْرَفْنَاهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا مَا هَذَا إِلَّا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ مَا هَذَا إِلَّا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ يَأْكُلُ يَأْكُلُ مِمَّا تَأْكُلُونَ مِنْهُ وَيَشْرَبُ مِمَّا تَشْرَبُونَ The ruling circle of his people, those who disbelieved and denied the encounter of the next world, and the journey to it, and whom we had given opulence and blessings in this world, said, This is nothing but a human being like yourselves, who eats what you eat and drinks what you drink. If you were to obey a human being like yourselves, you would in that case definitely be the losers, meaning deluded. أَيَعِدُكُمْ أَنَّكُمْ إِذَا مِتُّمْ وَكُنْتُمْ تُرَابًا وَعِظَامًا أَنَّكُمْ مُخْرَجُونَ Does he promise you that when you have died and become dust and bones, you will be brought forth again? This stresses their denial of what he has promised because of the length of time involved. هَيْهَاتَ هَيْهَاتَ لِمَا تُوْعَدُونَ What you have been promised is sheer nonsense. In verse 36, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, هَيْهَاتَ هَيْهَاتَ لِمَا تُوْعَدُونَ Sheer nonsense is what you have been promised. That is the translation that you have here. The word he had in Arabic means ba'id. It is far-fetched. As Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu said in his tafsir of this verse, he said ba'idun ba'id. It is far, very far. So a better translation of this verse is what you have been promised is far, very far, or far-fetched, extremely far-fetched. إن هي إلا حياتنا الدنيا نموت ونحيا وما نحن بمبعوثين. What is there? Any life but our life in this world. We die and we live and we will not be raised again. Meaning we only live on through our children. إن هو إلا رجل افترى على الله كذبا وما نحن له بمؤمنين. What is he? Meaning the messenger, but a man who has invented a lie against Allah. We do not believe in him, nor do we believe that we will be resurrected after death. 
قال رب انصرني بما كذبون he said my lord help me because of they call me a liar قال عما قليل لا يصبح النادمين he said in a short while they will be full of regret for their unbelief and denial فأخذتهم الصيحة بالحق فجعلناهم غثاء the great blast involving their punishment and destruction seized hold of them inexorably so that they died and we turned them into dirty scum the film formed from crumbled dried plants found on the surface of flood water فبعدل للقوم الظالمين away with the people of the wrongdoers the wrongdoers are far away from Allah's mercy ثم أنشأنا من بعدهم قرونا آخرين then we raised up other generations of people after them ما تسبق من أمة أجلها وما يستأخرون No nation can advance its appointed time Nor can they delay it They will not die before it or later than it ثم أرسلنا رسلنا تترا Then we sent our messengers one after another at intervals Read as تترا and تتران With a long period between each كلما جاء أمة رسولها كذبوه Each time its messenger came to a community they called him a liar. فأتبعنا بعضهم بعضا وجعلناهم أحاديث. So we made them follow one another too with regard to their respective destructions and turned them into myths and legends. فبعد لقوم لا يؤمنون. Away with the people who do not believe. In verse 44, Allah Azza says concerning these people who were destroyed فجعلناهم أحاديث. We made them into the translation here is myths and legends. And a hadith means stories and things that people would have conversations about. And hadith is narrations. And that's why the science of hadith is called hadith because it speaks about the narrations from the Prophet ﷺ. The meaning is that Allah destroyed these people so they became conversation points and stories that people would tell for many generations later. And as we mentioned previously, that even the Quraysh, the Arabs were aware of Ad and Thamud and that there were tribes and nations that lived in the peninsula of Arabia that had been destroyed over time and likewise other people as well just as today we reminisce about the Egyptians the pharaohs and the Egyptians and about other uh, other civilizations that lived and no longer exist they have become talking points and study points and conversation points and so Allah says the same thing about them that once Allah destroyed them they became things that people used to narrate. Then we sent Musa and his brother Harun with our signs and clear authority in the form of the white hand and other signs. To Pharaoh and his ruling circle. But they were too proud to believe and were a haughty people. They overpowered the tribe of Israel through injustice. فَقَالُوا أَنُؤْمِنُ لِبَشَرَيْنِ مِثْلِنَا وَقَوْمُهُمَا لَنَا عَابِدُونَ They said what? Should we believe in two human beings like ourselves when their people are our slaves, meaning humble and subjected to us? فَكَذَّبُوهُمَا فَكَانُوا مِنَ الْمُهْلَكِينَ They denied them, meaning Musa and Harun, so they were destroyed. وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا مُوسَ الْكِتَابَ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَهْتَدُونَ we gave Musa the book, meaning the Torah, so that perhaps they, meaning his people, the tribe of Israel, would be guided from his guidance. They were given that after the destruction of Pharaoh and his people. 
And we made Isa, the son of Maryam, and his mother a sign. The two of them are considered to be a single sign, in that she gave birth to him without a father. And gave them shelter on a mountainside. The word Rabwa means an elevated place, and it was situated in Jerusalem, Damascus, or Palestine where there was a meadow. The word Qarar means a level area which stretches out to a sufficient extent for people to be able to settle on it, and a flowing spring, one which people can see. And this is the position of many of the scholars of Tafsir in verse 50, that the meaning of the word Rabwa, وَآوَيْنَا هُمَا إِلَىٰ Rabwa, Rabwa is a elevated place, a high, flat place. And Rabwa, uh, amongst like Arab countries and Arab culture, is a name for a girl as well, named after this, a high place, where people can settle, a good fertile land, Rabwa. And that's why you have these different opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir, as you can see that Al-Mahali mentions Jerusalem, Damascus, Palestine. All of them have been mentioned in the books of Tafsir, and Allah knows best. Ya Messengers eat of the good and lawful things and act rightly, performing both obligatory and supererogatory actions. I most certainly know what you do and will repay you for it. And this verse 51 speaks about the importance of consuming what is halal. And we know from the hadith of the Prophet when he spoke about that man who's in the middle of the desert and loses his provisions and loses his riding animal. And then he calls out to Allah and he's dusty and dirty and disheveled and he says, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, O my Lord, O my Lord. And the Prophet says, But his food is haram. And his drink is haram. And his clothing is from haram. So how can he possibly be answered? Showing the importance of uh, halal food and halal clothing and halal drink in terms of having our acts of worship accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Know that this faith of yours, meaning the religion of Islam, is a single faith, your deen. You who are addressed is the one which you must follow. وَأَنَا رَبُّكُمْ فَاتَّقُونَ and I, am, and I am your Lord, so be fearful of me. فَتَقَطَّعُوا أَمْرَهُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ But they, meaning the people of religion, disagreed about their deen and split up, dividing into sects, different disputing parties, as happened with the Jews, Christians and others. كُلُّ حِزْبٍ بِمَا لَدَيْهِمْ فَرِحُونَ Each party exalting in what it had of the deen. And that is mentioned in the authentic hadith of the Prophet that the Jews split into 71 sects, the Christians into 72, and that this ummah was split into 73. And the same from amongst them are those who follow what Allah and His Prophet sent down upon the understanding of the companions. So leave them, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, in the glut of ignorance, meaning misguidance for a while until they die. Do they imagine that in the wealth and children we extend to them, meaning in this world? We are hastening to them with good things. No, indeed. But they have no awareness that Allah is drawing them on. Those who are filled with the fear of the punishment of their Lord. Those who believe the signs of their Lord, meaning the Quran. Those who do not associate anything with their Lord in their worship. 
والذين يؤتون ما آتوا وقلوبهم وجلة أنهم إلى ربهم راجعون Those who give what they have given both by way of sadaqah and righteous actions their hearts fearful of their return to their Lord fearing that they will not be acceptable and knowing that they will be returned to Allah such people are truly racing towards good things and they are the first to reach them in the knowledge of Allah in, in verse number 60 Allah says those who put forth their actions and their hearts tremble in fear and this is mentioned in the hadith of Aisha in a tirmidhi and ibn Majah that she said, O Messenger of Allah, does this verse refer to those people who drink alcohol and who commit fornication and who steal? He said, No, O daughter of a Siddiq. But rather it refers to those people who pray and who fast and who give zakah, but they fear that Allah Azza wa will not accept their deeds from them. That Allah will not accept their deeds from them. So there are those who put forth good deeds, but in their hearts they always have that trepidation, that anxiety, that uncertainty. That perhaps Allah Azza wa will see my lack of sincerity. Or because I didn't perform this action as it should be performed, that Allah won't accept it from me. And that is a meaning that is well understood amongst the companions of the Prophet For the companions used to make dua, for example, for six months of the year, that Allah would accept their deeds in Ramadan. And it's reported of Zayn al-Abideen, rahimahullah, the great grandson of the Prophet that when he would come to make the, the intention for Hajj or Umrah at the Miqat of Medina in the Hulayf and he would say Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik he would fall unconscious and when people would ask him he would say because I fear that when I make this intention Allah won't accept it from me and so that is the way that the believer is that they have continuously that fear that Allah may not accept from them and that is why from the beautiful du'as of the Quran is the du'a of Ibrahim and Ismail alayhim as-salam as they raise the foundation of the Kaaba, Rabbana taqabbal minna. O oh, our Lord, accept from us. We do not impose on any self any more than it can stand, meaning oblige it to do anything beyond its ability. So whoever cannot pray standing, pray sitting, and whoever cannot fast, breaks the fast. With us there is a book that speaks the truth about what they have done. This is a preserved tablet on which all actions are written. They, meaning the souls which act, will not be wronged in any way. So the reward for good actions will not be decreased and evil deeds will not be exaggerated. Allah says in verse 62 With us there is a book that speaks the truth. One in understanding of that verse in tafsir is that it refers to the Lawhi Mahfur. As Ibn Mahali rahimahullah mentioned, and the other is that it refers to a person's record of deeds. That that is what will speak the truth as it bears witness and testimony against them on the day of judgment. And Allah knows best. But there, meaning the unbelievers' hearts are overwhelmed by ignorance about this matter, meaning the Quran, and they do other things as well to the believers for which they will be punished. But then, when we seize the affluent, meaning the wealthy and leading people among them, with the punishment by means of the sword at the Battle of Badr, they will suddenly start praying fervently. In verse 64, Allah speaks about the punishment of these people, and the author Allah, says, by means of the sword at the Battle of Badr. And that is the statement of Qatada, and what it means, therefore, because the surah is a Meccan surah. 
that it means as would take place on the day of Badr to them. It is speaking about something that happens in the future. And amongst other scholars of tafsir, it is a general verse. It doesn't refer to a particular day or type of punishment, but punishment in its generic sense. لا تجأوا اليوم إنكم منا لا تنصرون. They will be told, do not pray fervently today. You will not get any help from us. Meaning they're praying, then we'll not help them. قد كانت آياتي تتلى عليكم فكنتم على أعقابكم تنكصون. My signs, meaning the Quran, were recited to you and you turned around on your heels, away from it. مستكبرين به Arrogant towards it, meaning too proud to believe, full of arrogance, because they are the inhabitants of the Haram of Mecca, and for that reason have a degree of security far beyond what most other people experience in their homes. Samiran tahdun, talking arrant nonsense all night long, while they are around the Kaaba, when they reject the Quran and say things that are not true about the Prophet and the Quran. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Verse 67, Allah Azza wa says, "Mustakbirina bih," they are arrogant towards the truth. And as the author Taala says, because they were lulled into a false sense of security by the blessings that Allah had given to them. And Allah Azza mentions this in Surah Quraysh. The ilafi Quraysh ilafihim shita'i was saif. Because of the security that we gave to Quraysh and the security of the provision that they had of the caravans of the summer and the winter. And from the blessings that Allah Azza gave to them in the Arabian Peninsula, the Quraysh, because the Arabs were generally poor. And they were people who didn't have any wealth, didn't have any natural resources, didn't have anything that was worthy of even being conquered. Because despite being bedded in, in between the Persian and the Byzantine Roman empires, which are the two superpowers of that time, neither of those empires conquered Arabia. Even though usually empires always seek to expand their land. And some of the commentators say because Arabia had nothing, nothing worth conquering. It was a bunch of Arab tribes that never had any unity amongst them, so they were never a threat, and there was nothing other than desert worth conquering. So Allah says, but the Quraysh amongst the Arabs generally were given a position of elevation. And that is because as everyone else is poor, they become affluent. And as everyone else has little influence, they have great influence. And that is because they are the custodians of the Kaaba, and they have these caravans, trade caravans, to Yemen and to Asham. And at the same time, people are coming to perform pilgrimage, so they have a constant income stream. Allah says, talking nonsense all night long, meaning that they would spend their nights. And the word summer means to stay awake at night. That they would spend their nights awake and that they would reject the truth during their conversations. So Allah says, do they not ponder these words? Meaning the Quran which demonstrates the truthfulness of the Prophet Has anything come to them that did not come to their ancestors, the previous peoples? Or is it that they do not recognize their messenger and, they, and therefore do not acknowledge him? أَمْ يَقُولُونَ بِهِ جِنَّةٌ بَلْ بِالْحَقِّ Or do they say he is a man possessed when he has brought the truth to them? He has brought the truth to those who believe in that which he has brought. And what the messengers brought to past communities is the truth. And in that he is not mad. He brought the Qur'an which contains knowledge of Allah and the laws of Islam. But most of them hate the truth. وَلَوْ اتَّبَعَ الْحَقُّ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ 
فسدت السماوات والأرض ومن فيهن. If the truth, meaning the Quran, were to follow their whims and desires, for instance, the attribution to Allah of a partner and child, when He is greatly exalted above that, the heavens and the earth and everything in them would have been brought to ruin. The order would have been disrupted in view of the conflict which inevitably occurs in situations when there is more than one ruler. بَلْ أَتَيْنَاهُمْ بِالْحَقِّ No, indeed, we have given them their reminder. بَلْ أَتَيْنَاهُمْ بِذِكْرِهِمْ بَلْ أَتَيْنَاهُمْ بِذِكْرِهِمْ No, indeed, we have given them their reminder, meaning the Qur'an, which contains mention of them and honors them. فَهُمْ عَنْ ذِكْرِهِمْ مُعْرِضُونَ But they have turned away from it. In verse 71, Allah Azza wa says, وَلَوِ اتَّبَعَ الْحَقُّ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ If the truth were to follow their whims and desires, the truth, according to some of the scholars of Tafsir, as Al-Mahalli has chosen here, Rahimahullah, refers to the Qur'an, meaning that if the Qur'an was to be revealed in accordance to what they wanted, that they can worship multiple gods, that they can worship, or that the Qur'an says that Isa is the son of Allah, and so on and so forth, then there would be ruin upon that. And the second position amongst the scholars of Tafsir, as mentioned by Imam Al-Tabari and others, is that the word Al-Haq, the truth, refers to Allah Himself. Because Al-Haq, is from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, if Allah were to follow their whims and desires, therefore, meaning, if Allah was to follow what they wanted in terms of His legislation, and what He ordained and legislated, then also, it would go to ruin. And Imam al-Tabir reconciled between the two and combined between the two opinions. That both of them are correct. If Allah was to legislate through the Qur'an, according to their whims and desires, then they would be in ruin. Yes. Are you asking them for payment? Read as both kharjan and kharajan, a wage for guiding them to faith. Your Lord's payment, read as kharj and kharaj, the wage, reward and provision he gives is better. He is the best of providers. You are calling them to a straight path, meaning the deen of Islam. But those who do not believe in the next world, meaning the resurrection, and the reward and punishment which follow it, recoil from the path. If we did have mercy on them and remove the harm, a reference to the famine which afflicted them in Mecca for seven years, afflicting them, they would still obstinately persist in wandering blindly in the excessive insolence, meaning in misguidance. We seized them with the punishment, meaning famine, but they did not go low before their Lord in humility and did not make supplication to Him, nor will they humble themselves. Until we open to them a gate to a harsh punishment, a reference to their slaughter at the Battle of Badr, in which they will at once be crushed by despair. In these verses, verse 75, 76 onwards, Allah Azza wa speaks as the author Ta'ala mentions concerning a difficult time that came upon the Quraysh in Mecca, and that is the time of drought and famine. And that is because the Prophet made dua against them, that Allah would place upon them the seven years of drought and famine like he did at the time of Yusuf And we mentioned this, I think, yesterday or the day before. In the narration of Ibn Abbas, in Sahih ibn Hibban, he says that Abu Sufyan came to the Prophet and asked him, by Allah, 
and invoking his relationship and blood ties that he had with the Quraysh, then he should turn to Allah and make dua that Allah relieves this from him. Meaning, these years of drought and difficulty. And so the Prophet ﷺ did so, and then these verses were revealed. It is he who has created hearing, sight, and hearts for you. What little thanks you show. It is he who dispersed you about the earth, and then you will be resurrected, and then you will be gathered to him. It is he who gives life by breathing spirit into an inert lump of flesh and causes to die, and his is the alternation of night and day in terms of darkness and light and increase and decrease. So, will you not use your intellect? Meaning, understand his work and then reflect? And yet they say the same as previous people said. They, meaning the first ones, say, when we are dead and turn to dust and bones, shall we then be raised again? We and our forefathers will promise this, resurrection after death before. This is nothing but the myths, lies like the legends and fables of previous peoples. Say to them, to whom does the earth belong and everyone created in it, if you have any knowledge of its creator and master. سَيَقُولُونَ لِلَّهِ They would say to Allah قُلْ أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ Say to them, so will you not pay heed? Meaning, will you not be warned and know that the one who has the power to originate has the power to bring back to life after death? قُلْ مَنْ رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ السَّبْعِ وَرَبُّ الْعَرْشِ الْعَظِيمِ Say, who is the Lord of the seven heavens and the Lord of the mighty throne? سَيَقُولُونَ لِلَّهِ They would say, Allah قُلْ أَفَلَا تَتَّقُونَ Say, so will you not be God-fearing and fear to worship any other than Allah? Say, in whose hand is the dominion over everything? He who gives protection and from whom no protection can be given, if you have any knowledge. They will say, Allah's, read as, Lillah and Allah. Say, so how have you been bewitched? Meaning, how have they been deceived and turned from the truth, which is worshipping Allah alone? How can they imagine it to be false? And these verses from 84 onwards shows that the Quraysh had the belief in Allah's power and lordship, and that Allah alone created and controlled the universe and everything within it. And so their worship of these idols and gods besides Allah was a worship of seeking intercession and trying to come closer to Allah through these idols and through these gods. In verse 89, the reading is Sayakuluna lillah and Sayakuluna Allah. The fact is that we have given them the truth and they are liars in denying it. Allah has no son and there is no other God accompanying him. For then each God would have gone off with what he created and one of them would have been exalted above the other. If there had been another God, each would have taken control of what belonged to him alone and kept the other from gaining power over it, as kings of this world do. 
Subhanallah amma yasifun. Glory be to Allah above what they describe and say. Alimil ghaybi wa shahadati fata'ala amma yushrikun. Noah of the unseen and the visible, meaning nothing is hidden from him. He, he is exalted above all they associate with him. Say, my Lord, if you let me see what, meaning punishment they have been promised, that of being killed at birth. Do not then, my Lord, put me among the wrongdoing people and destroy me when they are destroyed. We are certainly capable of letting you see what we have promised them. Word of evil with what is better. Meaning what is better is the quality of forbearance and turning away from them when they injure you. This was revealed before the command to fight was revealed. We know very well what they express. Meaning their denial and their other statements. And we will repay them for it. Say, my Lord, I seek refuge with you from the goodings and whisperings of the shaytans. And I seek refuge with you, my Lord, from their presence, meaning from their being present in my affairs, because they bring evil. When death comes to one of them and he sees his place in the fire or his place in the garden, if he is a believer, he says, My Lord, send me back again. The imperative send is in the plural for reasons of respect. So that perhaps I may act rightly by testifying that there is no God but Allah regarding the things I failed to do in my lifetime. Allah will say, Kalla, no indeed. They are merely words he utters. There is no going back. These words, he says, are useless. Before them, there is an interspace, a barrier which prevents them from going back until the day they are raised up. In verse 100, and before that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about how these people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, when they see the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and realize the reality of what is going to happen to them, will ask to return and to be given another chance. And this is a theme that is repeated in a number of places in the Qur'an. And Allah Azza wa responds by saying that even if they were to go back, these are simply and merely words that they say. Even if they were to go back to the dunya, they would become heedless and distracted and go back to the disbelief that they used to have before. And that is Allah Azza wa doesn't misguide a person who seeks sincerely to be guided. Allah guides those people. As for these people, they rejected every single sign that Allah sent to them. So even if they were to go back, that would not benefit them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, even though it is impossible for them to return. Then, when the trumpet is blown for the first or second time, that day there will be no family ties between them, about which they can boast. They will not be able to question one another about that. That is unlike from the situation in this world, because the terrifying nature of what is happening will distract them from doing so during some of the events of the rising. During others, they will recover their senses, since it says in one ayah, they will confront each other, they will confront each another, questioning on another, questioning one another. So in verse 101, it leads me to today's questions, which are from that same verse, but they're kind of in two parts. The first of them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِذَا نُفِقَ فِي الصُّورِ When the trumpet is blown, فَلَا أَنْسَابَ بَيْنَهُمْ 
that day there will be no family ties between them. Meaning that Allah says that all family ties will be broken off. But elsewhere in the Quran, like in Surah Abasa, Allah says, يَوْمَ يَفِرُّ الْمَرْءُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ وَأُمِّهِ وَأَبِيهِ وَصَاحِبَتِهِ وَبَنِيهِ On that day a person will flee from their mother, their father, their spouse, their children, and their brother. How then do we reconcile between this? Allah is saying there's no family ties on that day. But then Allah is referring to people through their family ties. That's the first part of the question. The second one is what Al-Mahalli rahimahullah is also referring to. And that is what Allah Azza wa says, فَلَا أَنْسَابَ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ إِذِينَ وَلَا يَتَسَأَلُونَ There will be no family ties between them, nor will they be able to question one another. For elsewhere in the Quran, Allah says, وَأَقْبَلَ بَعْضُهُمْ عَلَى بَعْضٍ يَتَسَأَلُونَ They will face one another and question one another. So Allah here is saying that there is no questioning amongst them, between them. But also in the Quran, Allah says that there will be questioning amongst them and between them. How do we therefore understand these verses of the Quran? And as I mentioned before, this particular science of looking at these verses where there seems to be an apparent conflict, because in reality there isn't one, but apparently it seems that there is a conflict, is from the noblest sciences of the Quran that the scholars of Tafsir have written about and even authored independent works concerning. Those whose scales are heavy with good actions, they are the successful. Those whose scales are light owing to evil deeds, they are the losers of themselves, remaining in hell timelessly forever. The fire will stare their faces, making them grimace horribly in it, their lips drawn back from their teeth. It will be said to them, أَلَمْ تَكُنْ آيَاتِي تُتْلَى عَلَيْكُمْ فَكُنْتُمْ بِهَا تُكَذِّبُونَ Were my signs, meaning the Qur'an, not recited to you to make you fear? And did you not deny them? قَالُوا رَبَّنَا غَلَبَتْ عَلَيْنَا شِقْوَتُنَا They will say, our Lord, our miserable destiny overpowered us. Read as, شِقْوَتُنَا and شَقَاوَتُنَا وَكُنَّا قَوْمًا ضَالِّينَ we were misguided people. Rabbana akhrijna minha. Our Lord, remove us from it. Fa'in'udana fa'inna zalimun. Then if we revert to disagreement again, we will definitely be wrongdoers. Qala khsa'u fiha wala tukallimun. He will say to them on the tongue of the angel Malik, slink away into it, far into the fire, abased, and do not speak to me about removing the punishment. This is to put an end to any hope they have. In verse 81, uh, 108 rather, Allah says, He will say to them, and then the author says, On the tongue of the angel Malik. And that is one opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir. But the stronger one, and Allah knows best, as chosen by Imam al-Tabari and bin Kathir, is that the one who will say this is Allah himself. Allah is the one who will say this. And this will be their final command upon them. That after this they can speak no more. But before this they will speak, and they will have certain requests, and from their requests is that they return to the earth. And from their requests is what we mentioned in Surah Al-A'raf. That the people of the fire will call out to the people of Jannah and say, give us some of the water that you have, or any of the provision that Allah has provided for you. There will be a number of stages in which they will be allowed to speak. But then after they have exhausted their excuses and their speech in those times and during those intervals is to further 
their punishment and their humiliation. That they speak and they request and at each time they are denied. And they are rejected and they are refused. And after they have done all of that, then they will finally be told, You will remain therein forever. وَلَا تُكَلِّمُونَ Never again can you speak. Meaning, you will not be allowed to address Allah or the angels or the believers in Jannah. You will be no longer able to speak. And that is when Allah Azza wa will no longer speak to them. And that is, as we said before, concerning those verses of them being uh, deaf, deaf, dumb and blind, that some of the scholars said, it is at this point that they will become deaf, dumb and blind. According to one of those opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir, alayhim rahmatullah. The point is though, that after this, it is the point that they are completely ignored. And Allah Azza wa Jal does not pay them any more mind or attention. إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَرِيقٌ مِّنْ عِبَادِي يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاغْفِرْ لَنَا وَارْحَمْنَا وَأَنْتَ خَيْرُ الرَّاحِمِينَ There was a group of my slaves, meaning the muhajirun, who said, Our Lord, we believe, so forgive us and have mercy on us. You are the best of the merciful. فَاتَّخَذْتُمُوهُمْ سِخْرِيًّا حَتَّى أَنْسَوْكُمْ ذِكْرِي But you made a mockery of them, read as سِخْرِيًّا and سُخْرِيًّا Those referred to here included Bilal, Suhaib, Ammar and Salman So that they made you forget to remember me In other words they abandoned Allah Because they were busy mocking those Muslims And so they become, became the reason for their forgetfulness Which is therefore ascribed to them While you were laughing at them Today I have rewarded them with abiding bliss For being steadfast in the face of mockery and injury they, read as أَنَّهُمْ and إِنَّهُمْ are the ones who are victorious and will obtain their desire. He, meaning Allah, will say to them on the tongue of Malik, a variant reading has an imperative قُلْ say, here, how many years did you tarry on the earth, in the world, and in the grave? They will say, we tarried there for a day or part of a day. They will be uncertain about this and think that it was short because of the terrible nature of the punishment they are suffering. Ask those able to count. A reference to the angels who count all the deeds of every human being. He, meaning Allah, will say on the tongue of Malik, as above in 23-112, a variant reading has an imperative قُلْ Say, here, you only tarried there for a little while, compared to the length of time you will remain in the fire. If you did, but no. In these verses, in verse 112 and 114, you can see a discrepancy. When Allah Azza wa says, قَالَ He, the translator in bracket says, Allah will say. And then he gives the commentary of Al-Mahalli, which is on the tongue of Malik. And the correct position in all of these, in as we said, verse 108, 108, 112, 114, is that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is speaking. It is Allah who is addressing them, and not the angel Malik. And the angel Malik has uh, no reason to speak, it is Allah azza wa who is speaking. And one of the reasons why in some of these books of tafsir, they always say when Allah speaks that it is on the tongue of an angel. It is from the angel, because this is their way of making ta'wil, misinterpreting this particular attribute of Allah Azza wa Jal, they say that he doesn't speak subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is from that misunderstanding that we have that position of that the Quran is a creation of Allah in the time of Imam Ahmad rahimahullah they said that the Quran is a speech 
is not the speech of Allah. It's not from the attributes of Allah. It is the creation of Allah. And the difficult situation of the Quran being a creation of Allah comes from this misunderstanding that they have that Allah does not speak. And they say the same thing in every single situation concerning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why they say that the Quran wasn't taken from Allah azza wa jal, but it's taken from Jibreel alayhi salam, who took it from the Lawh al-Mahfud or whatever else it may be. And so this is all as a means of misinterpreting this attribute of Allah azza wa jal. So that may not be the intention of al-Mahali rahimahullah ta'ala, but it is an important point to bear in mind. So therefore what the translator mentions in, in parentheses and brackets is what is correct and Allah knows best. Did you suppose that we created you merely for amusement, without a real and wise purpose, and that you will not be returned to us? We made you worshippers by imposing on you obedience to our commands and prohibitions. Then you will be returned to us, and we will repay you accordingly. I only created jinn and men to worship me. Exalted be Allah. Be Allah above doing anything for the sake of amusement or any other things which are not appropriate for Him, the King, the Real. La ilaha illa huwa Rabbul Arshil Kareem. There is no God but Him, Lord of the Noble Throne. In verse 116, Allah Azzawajal says, Rabbul Arshil Kareem, Lord of the Noble Throne. And some of the scholars said that the word Al Kareem is a description of the throne, and others said it is a description of Allah, because from the names of Allah Azzawajal is that He is Al Kareem. وَمَنْ يَدْعُ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخَرَ لَا بُرْهَانَ لَهُ بِهِ فَإِنَّمَا حِسَابُهُ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِ Whoever calls on another God together with Allah has no grounds, meaning no proof for it or argument with any sense to it justifying it for doing so at all and his reckoning and repayment is with his Lord. إِنَّهُ لَا يُفْلِحُ الْكَافِرُونَ Truly the unbelievers have no success and will not achieve happiness. وَقُلْ رَبِّ غُفِرْ وَرْحَمْ وَأَنْتَ خَيْرُ الرَّاحِمِينَ Say, my Lord, forgive and be merciful to the believers, having mercy on them as well as forgiveness for them. You are the best of the merciful. Surah An-Nur, Light. This surah is Medinan, it has 62 or 64 ayat and was sent down after Al-Hashr. So this is the 24th surah of the Qur'an, the surah known as the surah of light, Surah An-Nur, and it is so called the light surah of light because in it Allah Azza wa will mention the famous verses of light Allahu nurus samawati wal ard it is a madani surah according to the scholars with tafsir Ibn Atiyah, Ibn Kathir, Imam Al-Qutani said that it is by ijma' and that is because it speaks about many of the of the detailed rulings concerning zina adultery and fornication concerning li'an, concerning many of those rulings that we know came in the later period of the Prophethood of the Prophet ﷺ in the Medinan period and from the clearest of signs that this is a Medinan surah is the story that will come shortly about the slander of our mother Aisha radiallahu anha which took place clearly in the Medinan period it is 64 verses according to the Mus'haf that we have a surah we have sent down and imposed, read as فَرَضْنَا and فَرَّضْنَا وَأَنزَلْنَا فِيهَا آيَاتٍ بَيِّنَاتٍ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ We have sent down clear signs, meaning clear evidence in it, so that perhaps you'll pay heed and be admonished by it. 
in verse number one, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Surah Al-Anzalnaha wa Faradnaha, or Faradnaha." The surah we have sent down and imposed. Why? Because this surah will contain many rulings concerning many things to do with modesty, and this is a surah that refers to modesty in many different forms, from the rulings of marriage and the rulings of divorce and the rulings of lowering the gaze and the rulings of who it is halal for you to be in their company with for example for women without hijab and so on and so forth this is the surah that details all of that and in the midst of it Allah Azza wa will mention the verse of light and some of the scholars deduced from this that Allah Azza wa mentions the verse of light which is his guidance and his nur subhanahu wa ta'ala they deduced from this that one of the greatest ways of achieving the light of Allah Azza wa is through modesty by preserving your chastity and your modesty. The more modest a person is in terms of them preserving their eyes, what they look at, their mind, what they think about, their ears, what they hear in terms of things which may be immodest, it is one of the greatest means of attaining Allah's nur, Allah's light and His guidance subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is mentioned from a number of the salaf, from the Uthman radiallahu anhu, that one of the tabi'een said, that I once was walking towards the house of Uthman radiallahu anhu, and I passed by a woman who was extremely beautiful, so I watched her until she went into her home. And then I came upon Uthman radiallahu anhu, and he looked at me, and then he looked away and he said, A'udhu billah, I seek refuge in Allah. Why does one of you commit zina outside and then come into me, my house, to see me? I said to him, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, leader of the Muslims, has anyone received revelation after the Prophet wasallam? Meaning, how did you know what I did, what I didn't do, what I was looking at? And so Uthman replied, rather it is the light that Allah places in the face of the believer. And when that light diminishes, it is because of their immodesty. And that is from the farasa, from the insight and the acumen that Uthman had. That he could see that a person has sinned simply by that light leaving their face. And from them is the statement of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullahu ta'ala when he used to go to his teacher Waqir ibn al-Jarrah rahimahullah. And one day as he was traveling towards him he saw a woman and some of her body became exposed inadvertently and he happened to look at it. And then he continued and he went to Waqir and that day he couldn't memorize. And Imam al-Shafi'i in the books of the scholars of knowledge Although the people of knowledge is known, he's an ayah, a sign of Allah in terms of memorization. He would look at a page and he would memorize it. And it is said that he would often cover up the second page in a book out of fear that he would memorize that one before the first one. And then he would muddle up the order of the book. He was amazing in his memorization, but that day he couldn't memorize. So Waqir, his teacher, rahimahullah, asked him, what did you do today? You must have done something that changed your ability to memorize. And after thinking and thinking, he said, this is the only thing that I can think of. So Waqir said, it is that. That is the light that Allah has taken from you. And that shows you the level of piety of those scholars, that even the inadvertent look for them was something that caused them problems as opposed to our situation, Wallahu musta'an. And that is where you have the famous verses of poetry of Imam al-Shafi'i, Shakawtu ila Waqir'in su'a hifli, farshadani ila tarqi al-ma'asi, وَقَالَ عَلَمْ بِأَنَّ الْعِلْمَ نُورٌ وَنُورُ اللَّهِ لَا يُعْطَى لِلْعَاصِيمِ الزانية والزاني فاجلدوا كل واحد منهما مئة جلدة A woman and a man commit fornication A man and woman who are not married If they were, they would be stoned according to the sunnah Flood both of them with 100 lashes And the sunnah adds to this penalty that the man should be exiled for a year Slaves incur half of that punishment
ولا تأخذكم بهما رأفة في دين الله إن كنتم تؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر and do not, do not let compassion for either of them possess you where Allah's deen is concerned. The ruling is that you should not abandon any of the punishment prescribed for them if you believe in Allah and the last day, meaning the day of resurrection. This is to encourage what was mentioned above. وَلْيَشْهَدَ عَذَابَهُمَا طَائِفَةٌ مِّنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ A number of believers should witness their punishment by flogging. It is said that there must be at least three and it is said that the minimum is four, which is the number of the required witnesses so the verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins at the very beginning of the surah as we can see immediately after the first verse Allah goes into the rulings of fornication and what is being referred here in terms of the penal code that is done um, under the Muslim ruler in the Muslim system according to the rules of Islam it is referring to fornication outside of the bonds of marriage meaning that these people are bachelors they are not it is not adultery which is done for those people that are married for them meaning these people they're uh, punishment is the lashing of a hundred times and it is mentioned in the sunnah that they should be separated for a year meaning that they are exiled and that is because that they don't see each other and they don't go back to committing that same act of zina there is a period a long period of distance between them so as to keep them apart so that their emotions their feelings for one another do not overcome them or shaitan does not tempt them to make the same sin again a number of believers should witness their punishment and you see the different opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir and the position of Imam al-Shafi'i I believe is the second one that it is a minimum of four because those are the numbers of witnesses that you need in order for the the punishment of a zina to be carried out and Allah knows best yeah. <laughs> A man who has fornicated may only marry a woman who has fornicated, or a woman of the idolaters. A woman who has fornicated may only marry a man who has fornicated, or a man of the idolaters. This is appropriate for them according to what has been mentioned. Doing such a thing is unlawful for the believers. It is unlawful for the good believers to marry those who fornicate. This was revealed when the poor muhajirun wanted to marry the prostitutes of the idolaters who are wealthy so that they could support them. It is said that the prohibition was particular to them. It is also said that it is general and was then abrogated by the words of Allah Almighty, marry those among you who are unmarried. And this is the position of Al-Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala. And what seems to be a stronger position on Allah knows best is that the verse is general. And what Allah is saying that the people who fornicate only marry people like them. Not that they can only marry, that these are the people who should marry them. Meaning a believer isn't someone who marries someone who is unchaste and immodest and is likely to commit those types of sins before Allah Azza wa Jal. There is an important exception though to this verse that the author doesn't mention and that is the exception of repentance. Except for those who repent, someone who commits adultery, someone who commits fornication, maybe before they become a Muslim or maybe in a stab that when they truly turn to Allah in repentance, those people are excluded from this verse and that is because that is the general principle of the Sharia that anyone who repents Allah forgives them for that sin that they committed and Allah knows best وَالَّذِينَ يَرْمُونَ الْمُحْصَنَاتِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَأْتُوا بِأَرْبَعَةِ شُهَدَاءَ فَجَلِدُوهُمْ ثَمَانِينَ جَلَّةً وَلَا تَقْبَلُوا لَهُمْ شَهَادَةً أَبَدًا but those who make accusations of fornication against chaste women and then do not produce four witnesses who actually saw their act, flog each of them with 80 lashes and never, get, never again accept them as witnesses about anything. 
Such people are deviators because they have committed a grave wrong action. In verse number 4, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the punishment of slandering. And slandering means to accuse someone of fornication or adultery without having the requisite number of witnesses. And the requisite number of witnesses is four. Four who must actually see the act of adultery taking place. Not that someone is secluded in a room with a woman. Not that they went into the same, same hotel together. Not that they were in the car together. Those are different signs that maybe they were doing something untoward. But that doesn't bring upon them the penal punishment. And so the misunderstanding that people have about stoning in Islam and, and this type of lashing and flogging, it is actually one of the most difficult acts or crimes in Islam to prove. Extremely difficult. And this will come in a very few short verses when we speak about the rulings of Ni'an. And that is because it is extremely difficult for someone to be able to see and produce four witnesses, unless that person obviously does it in public or something else, but to see that act with four witnesses who actually witness the act taking place of intercourse. That is what is being referred to. So if that person doesn't have those four witnesses and then they speak out of turn and they accuse a man or a woman of being unchaste in that regard, then they are punished by flogging 80 times, which shows you the uh, seriousness of that issue and how Islam came to preserve people's honor and their chastity and their modesty. Except for those who after that repent and put things right by doing right actions. Allah is ever forgiving for their slander, most merciful to them, by inspiring them to a repentance which will prevent their deviance and allow the acceptance of their testimony. Those who make an accusation of fornication against their wives and have no witnesses except themselves, and this happened with some of the companions, such people should testify four times by Allah that they are telling the truth in accusing their wives of adultery. And a fifth time that Allah's curse will be upon them if they are lying. If they do this, then the punishment for slander is averted from them. And the punishment for adultery, which will be established by her husband's testimony, is removed from her if she testifies four times by Allah that he is lying in making his accusation. And a fifth time that Allah's anger will be upon her if he is telling the truth about it. In verses 6 to 9, these are the verses of Li'an. And Li'an is when the husband and wife, because one of them is being accused of adultery in the bonds of marriage, they invoke Allah's curse upon one another. And that is what the meaning of Li'an means. Li'an comes from La'ana, the word for curse. And as the author Ta'ala mentions in his commentary of verse number 6, as has happened with some of the companions. And what is referred to is the famous hadith in Al-Bukhari al-Muslim of the companion Uwaymir al-Ajnani radiyallahu anhu that he said to another companion from his tribe by the name of Asim ibn Adi, O Asim, if someone, meaning a husband, is to seize their wife committing adultery with another man, if he goes and he kills them, you kill him because he committed murder, so you kill him. And if you accuse her of adultery but you don't have four witnesses, then you, you flog him 80 times. 
So is he now meant to go and find four people before he can come and make that claim? Or is he meant to continue as if nothing happened? Meaning this is an impossible situation. Outside of the bonds of marriage, if it's somewhere else, that's their affair between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if a husband sees a wife or the wife sees the husband, what are they meant to do? They can't continue and they can't divorce and they can't accuse them and they, they're stuck. So Asim ibn Adi, go and ask the Prophet sallallahu asked him. And it said that this is a situation that happened with Umayyimir radiallahu anhu. So Asim went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and asked him and the Prophet looked away from him in dislike. And the Prophet didn't like speaking about these issues because they are issues that speak about immodesty. Asim ibn Adi went back to Umayyimir and said to him, what did the Prophet say to you? Asim said, he didn't like your question and you didn't bring me any good by asking me to ask him. Meaning that he disliked me asking him this question. Uwaymir said, by Allah, I will go and ask him. I will ask him because we need to know the ruling. It's impossible. So then the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw Uwaymir coming, he said, oh Uwaymir, Allah has revealed verses about you and your wife. And these are the verses 6 to 9. That if they are in that situation, each one of them must impose upon themselves the la'na of Allah, the curse of Allah upon themselves. They make a testimony five times that if they are if they are wrong, then Allah curses them. And if they are right, then Allah Azzawajal frees them from that curse. And the way that the opposite number, the husband or the wife, frees themselves then from that punishment of being stoned for adultery is that they make a similar type of, of la'na and, and invoke a curse upon themselves as well. And that is called ni'an. And when that happens, then they must divorce irrevocably. They can't go back to being with one another. It is an irrevocable divorce. And so that is the verses of Ni'an that is being referred to. Were it not for Allah's favor to you and His mercy invading that, and that Allah is ever relenting by accepting repentance, repentance from that and other things, all wise in what He decrees about that, and other things in order to make the truth clear, He can hasten the punishment of those who deserve it. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ جَاءُوا بِالْإِفْكِ عُصْبَةٌ مِّنْكُمْ There is a group of you who propagated the lie. They did wrong by lying about Aisha, Umul Mu'mineen, may Allah be pleased with her, by slandering her. This was a group of the believers, Hassan ibn Thabit, Abdullah ibn Ubay, Misbah, and Hamna bin Jahsh. لَا تَحْسَبُوهُ شَرًّا لَكُمْ Do not suppose it to be bad for you, believers, other than this group. بَلْ هُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ Rather, it is good for you. Allah will reward you for it. The innocence of Aisha and the one who was with her, Safwan, was made clear. She said, I was with the Prophet ﷺ on an expedition after the command to women to veil was revealed. It came to an end and we were returning and were near Medina. The Prophet ﷺ gave the order to come for the night. I went for a call of nature and came back to the party. Then, it, then I saw that my necklace had broken and went back to look for it. They lifted my hoda onto the camel thinking that I was in it. Women at that time used to be very light since they did not have much to eat. I found my necklace and came back after they had left. I sat down in the place I had been, assuming that people would miss me and come back for me. My eyes became heavy and I fell asleep. Safwan, who had stopped to rest for the night behind the army, came to the camp in the morning and saw the dark shape of a sleeping person. When he saw me, he recognized me. He had seen me before the veiling. I woke up when he said, We belong to Allah and to him we return. I covered my face with my cloak. By Allah, he did not speak a single word to me and I did not hear a word from him except for his exclamation. He made his camel kneel and I mounted it and he led the camel with me on it until we reached the army after they had camped to rest from the midday heat. 
Then those who were destroyed were destroyed. The worst of them was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. This hadith is related by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Every one of them will incur the evil he has earned for doing that. And the one who took it on himself to amplify it, meaning to make it worse and delve into it with his party, a reference to Abdullah ibn Ubay, will receive a terrible punishment, meaning the fire in the next world. In verse number 11, we have the famous incident and story of the slander of our mother Aisha, radiallahu anha, and the author, ta'ala, has given a part of the lengthy hadith that is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim concerning this incident. But before we go into that, he mentions at the beginning of his commentary, this was a group of the believers. And then he mentions Hassan ibn Thabit, Abdullah ibn Ubay, Mistah, and Hamna bin Tujahash. And the correction there is that Abdullah ibn Ubay is not from the believers, he's from the hypocrites, but rather he's the leader of the hypocrites. And what the author is saying is that it is a group from amongst them. A group meaning that were living in Medina from the people. Amongst them were believers like Hassan an, and Mistah who's the relative of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Hamna, bintu Jahash, who's the sister of one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi bintu Jahash. And then there were the hypocrites, Abdullah ibn Ubay and his life. This story takes place in the sixth year of the Hijrah, according to the majority of the scholars of Sirah. And that is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Aisha mentions in her own narration, when the Prophet sallallahu would go on expeditions, he would draw lots between his wives to see which one of them would accompany him. So the lot of that expedition or that journey fell upon Aisha radiallahu anha. So they went to the expedition and now they're returning back on the way home. And as they stopped in a place to rest, they stopped, the caravan stopped in a place to rest. The women of that time used to be in what the author or the translator here translates as the literal word hawda. And hawda is basically that small thing that they place on a camel. I don't know what the, what the English word is. For that, but like you see in you know like the TV and the movies and so on, you see them on camel for women. They would close them in that area. It's a place that they can sit. It's a small little thing that they have that they place on them that's surrounded by curtains so that they are preserved in terms of their modesty. That is what they would ride in. So Aisha radiallahu anha, that's what she is in. So when the camel kneels down and the people stop to take a break, she leaves to go and relieve herself. She goes far away, as was the custom of that time. The women go extremely far so that they can't even be seen. When she goes there and she relieves herself and she wishes to return, as she's returning, she realizes her necklace has broken off. She can't find it. Just as we mentioned in the story of Tayammum, her necklace isn't there again. So she goes back to look for it and search for it. So as she's searching, the army continues and they raise up the hawda, they lift her up and they continue. And she says, because I was young in age, because Aisha radiallahu anha is young in age, she wasn't extremely heavy. So when they lift her up, they don't really realize that there is any difference in terms of the weight of what is being lifted. To put that hawda back onto the camel, they think she's still in there. They didn't really realize a difference. And they're not going to look in to see if the wife of the Prophet is there. So the camel moves and the expedition moves on and the army moves on. Aisha radiallahu anha comes back and she finds the gold gun. So she sits there thinking sooner or later they'll realize that she's missing and they'll come back and they'll get her. As she's sitting there, she falls asleep. She's tired and she falls asleep. The Prophet would always have a companion right at the back of the army. 
just in case something falls, something is lost, something happens, there's someone right at the back who comes and he picks up what people may have left behind or missed or dropped or lost for some reason or another. In this case, it is this companion Safwan, Ibn al-Mu'attal, al-Sunami, radiyallahu anhu, from the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And before the verses of hijab, she says, Aisha, that Safwan is someone who saw me. He knew who I was. So when he came and he saw me lying there on the ground alone, and he had a camel with him, he saw me completely alone. He did nothing more except to say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. So when he said that, I woke up and I saw what had happened. So then he caused his camel to kneel on the ground and he walked away so that I could get on. And then he walked back, took it by the reins, and he walked me back to Medina. She says, he never said anything more to me except inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, just to catch my attention. Aisha radiallahu anha comes back. And now the rumors spread in Medina, started by the hypocrites, that Aisha has committed this act of adultery with this man Safwan. And it spreads across the Muslims. And from amongst them, as is mentioned in some narrations, is some of the believers, which shows that when something like this happens, a massive rumor and slander and a trial, it's not just the hypocrites or the weak in Iman who are subjected to it, but even some of those who are stronger in Iman and have a position in terms of their religion. Hassan ibn Thabit is the poet of the Prophet ﷺ, an illustrious companion, Mistah, whose narration we will come to is from the relatives of Abu Bakr from the early Muhajirin, from the companions who participated in the Battle of Badr, a senior companion, Hamna bintu Jahash is the sister-in-law of the Prophet the sister of Zainab there are Muslims that are included within this Aisha becomes ill when she returns to Medina so she doesn't know the situation of what's going on until one day she's with another woman from the Ansar and she mentions it to her don't you know what's going on and she's like I don't know what's going on I've been ill I don't really understand and then she tells her that the whole of Medina is speaking about her affair about what she's apparently or being accused of doing Aisha radiallahu anha becomes extremely upset she says that I cried that whole day and I sought permission from the Prophet that I should be allowed to return to the house of my parents Abu Bakr radiallahu so the Prophet allowed me to do so and I went and I spoke to my mother and I said to her do you not know what the people are saying and my mother she says that she tried to lighten the load from me don't worry, it's nothing major. No one, did the Prophet loves no one like the way that he loves you. But he continues and he continues and he continues and Allah is yet to receive or send down revelation about this. The Prophet has yet to receive revelation concerning this affair. The Prophet seeks advice from some of the companions. From amongst them is Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu anhumah. And he says, O Messenger of Allah, I know nothing except good about your wife. And she's from the best of women. So why are you worried about this? And then he asks Ali radiallahu anhu. And Ali says, O oh, Messenger of Allah, she's a woman. And there's plenty of women. If you choose to get rid of her, there's plenty of others that you can take. And if you want an interesting tangent from this, go to the hadith of the Prophet concerning the final days, his final illness. And when the Prophet and Abu Bakr radiallahu anh is leading the prayer, and Aisha says, the Prophet felt better. So he said, I want to go and pray. The famous hadith, he goes and he sits next to Abu Bakr and leads the companions in prayer. Aisha says, two men came to carry him and his feet were dragging on the ground. One of them is Al-Abbas and the second one she refuses to name. 
And that's a very interesting point If you go and find out who As Ibn Abbas will mention the name of that companion And you can see what the statement of Ali radiallahu an then did When she had what her opinion was And that's not because Ali radiallahu an Is accusing her of something But he's thinking of it from a very simple point of fiqh O Messenger of Allah This issue is becoming big If you divorce her there are plenty of other women It's not a major issue But if you want more advice go to Barira Barira is the free slave of Aisha radiallahu anha So the Prophet ﷺ asked Barira And Barira said, a messenger of Allah This is a woman that I have never seen anything bad from her Except from the normal everyday mistakes that all of us make She's human like everyone else is But nothing in terms of her religion, her integrity, her modesty and her chastity She says that the Prophet ﷺ Because the rumors became so much He went to the masjid one day and he said, gathering the companions, who will suffice me from this man, meaning Abdullah ibn Ubay, the leader of the hypocrites who is spreading this rumor and continuing, making sure that the rumor mill continues in Medina. Who will suffice me from him? Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, radiallahu anhu, the senior companion of the Ansar, stood up and he said, O Messenger of Allah, if he is from me, meaning my tribe of the Aus, I will deal with him. And even if he's not and he's from the Khazraj, which he was, we will still deal with him. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, who is the leader of the Khazraj, stood up and he said, no you won't. If he's from the Khazraj, you don't come and you take him from us. And so now the Aus and the Khazraj, those two tribes of the Ansar, begin to debate with one another. The Prophet ﷺ calms them down and he leaves them. Because that caused another issue, which is the problem in times of trial. Other trials continue to come as a result of that one major trial. The Prophet ﷺ continued in that way until one day he came to Aisha in the house of Abu Bakr and he said, Oh Aisha, if you are innocent, then Allah will reveal your innocence. But if you made a mistake, then turn to Allah and seek his forgiveness. And Allah is oft forgiving most merciful. Aisha said, I turned to my father Abu Bakr and said, Oh my father, respond on my behalf. Abu Bakr said, By Allah, I don't know what to say. So I turned to my mother and said, Oh, my mother responded on my behalf. And she said, I don't know what to say. So the Aisha radiallahu anha said, I know that if I was to say that I did it, you would believe me. And if I said that I'm not innocent, you won't believe me. Because you don't know either way. So I don't know what to say except the statement of Ya'qub alayhi salam, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ وَاللَّهُ مُسْتَعَانُ عَلَى مَا تُصِيفُونَ Patience is more befitting. And Allah Azza wa will help me concerning that which they ascribe regarding me. She says that the Prophet ﷺ, as he was sitting there, Allah Azza wa sent him revelation. And he said to me, have glad tidings of Aisha, Allah has revealed your innocence. She says, my mother said, and this is the end of the narration, my mother said, O oh, Aisha, stand up and thank the Prophet ﷺ. She said, by Allah, I will thank no one on this day except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the one who received or revealed my revelation. And this is the long hadith and I wanted to mention it all because it is an important incident but also because it is one of the points that people have when they attack the honor of Aisha radiallahu anha لولا إذ سمعتموه ظن المؤمنون والمؤمنات بأنفسهم خيرا وقالوا هذا إفكم مبين why when you heard it did you not as men and women of believers instinctively think good thoughts and say this is obviously a clear lie in this, there is a change in person from the second to the third person, but it still refers to the group. Why did they, meaning the group, not produce four witnesses to it? 
فإذ لم يأتوا بالشهداء فأولئك عند الله هم الكاذبون Since they did not bring four witnesses to what they claim in Allah's sight, they are liars regarding that. In verse number 12, that is the general principle that Allah is mentioning. When you hear these types of rumors and slanders, it is not befitting for the believers to believe them and to spread them and to go around talking about them. That is how the rumor mill starts. But rather what they should do is think good of one another. That is the basis of the Muslim. Unless you have reason to suspect otherwise, Muslims are innocent. And Muslims are people of integrity. And Muslims are honest and truthful. And Muslims are people who are chaste and modest. And that is how we believe, or that is how we think of others. وَلَوْلَا فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَتُهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ لَمَسَّكُمْ فِيمَا أَفَضْتُمْ فِيهِ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ were it not for Allah's favor to you and his mercy, both in this world and the next, a terrible punishment would have afflicted you, slanderers in the next world, for your plunging headlong into it. إِذْ تَلَقَّوْنَهُ بِأَلْسِنَتِكُمْ وَتَقُولُونَ بِأَفْوَاهِكُمْ مَا لَيْسَ لَكُمْ بِهِ عِلْمٍ You were bandying, about, bandying it about on your tongues, repeating it to one another, your mouths uttering something about which you had no knowledge. وَتَحْسَبُونَهُ هَيِّنَا You consider it to be a trivial matter and no sin. وَهُوَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ عَظِيمٌ But in Allah's sight, it is an immense sin. In verse 15, Allah Azza wa says, وَتَحْسَبُونَهُ هَيِّنَا Because it is easy to speak about these things and to forward a text message and to retweet something. It is simply an action that we don't pay much attention to. And how many rumors are spread because of our inadvertent actions in the way that we spread them and forward them and pass them on to others. And that is how rumors spread. And from the punishments that the Prophet saw of the people of the grave is the man who a hook will be placed in the right side of his cheek and it will be pulled with such force that it will rip the cheek of his face until it comes to the back of his neck. And then the hook will be placed on the left side of his mouth and the same will be done. And by the time the left side is ripped, the right will be healed. So again it will be done on the right side and then the left will be healed and that will continue to happen to that person until the day of judgment. Jibreel said to the Prophet this is a man or a person who spreads a rumor that reaches the horizon, spreads across everyone, reaches the far regions of that land, of that country or of the world because of what they started. وَلَوْلَا إِذْ سَمِعْتُمُوهُ قُلْتُمْ مَا يَكُونُ لَنَا أَن نَتَكَلَّمَ بِهَذَا Why, when you heard it, did you not say, we have no business speaking about this, meaning it is not proper for us to do so. Subhanak, glory be to you. This is an expression of amazement. هَذَا بُهْتَانٌ عَظِيمٌ This is a terrible slander and a lie. يَعِذُكُمُ اللَّهُ أَن تَعُونُوا لِمِثْلِهِ أَبَدًا إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ Allah warns you never to repeat the like of it again if you are believers and are admonished by this. Allah makes the signs clear to you with respect to His commands and prohibitions. And Allah is all knowing of what He commands and prohibits, all wise in doing so. People who love to see filth being spread about by the tongue concerning those who believe, by ascribing fornication to them, a reference to the party mentioned above and those like them, will have a painful punishment, both in this world, the legal punishment for slander, and the next, in the fire by the right due to Allah. Allah knows that the slander is not true about them, and you, slanderers, do not know the lie which you tell about them to be true. 
ولولا فضل الله عليكم ورحمته وأن الله رؤوف رحيم Were it not for Allah's favor to you and his mercy and that Allah is all gentle, most merciful by not hastening the punishment to you Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu la tattabi'u khutuwati shaytan You who believe do not follow in the footsteps of shaytan the paths which he makes seem attractive to you وَمَنْ يَتَّبِعْ خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَإِنَّهُ يَأْمُرُ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرُ Anyone who follows in shaytan's footsteps should know that he commands ugly indecency and wrongdoing, meaning what is against Allah's laws. وَلَوْلَا فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَتُهُ مَا زَكَى مِنْكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ أَبَدًا Were not for Allah's favor upon you and his mercy, not one of you would, have, would ever have been purified by repentance because of the lie you told. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يُزَكِّي مَنْ يَشَاءُ But Allah purifies whomever He wills of wrong actions by accepting their repentance. وَاللَّهُ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ Allah is all-hearing of what you say, all-knowing of what you intend. وَلَا يَأْتَلِ أُولُو الْفَضْلِ مِنْكُمْ وَالسَّعَةِ أَنْ يُؤْتُوا أُولِي الْقُرْبَةِ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْمُهَاجِرِينَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Those of you possessing affluence and ample wealth should not make oaths that they will not give to their relatives, the very poor, and those who have emigrated in the way of Allah. This was revealed about Abu Bakr, who swore that he would not give any more to Misbah, who was his cousin and a poor muhajir, and had been present at the Battle of Badr, when he became involved in the lie after he had been giving to him. Some of the companions swore that they would not give sadaqah to any of those who were in any way involved in the lie. They should rather pardon and overlook what those people did in that respect. أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ Would you not love Allah to forgive you? وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful to the believers. Abu Bakr said, I want Allah to forgive me, and he continued to spend on misbah what he had been spending before. In verse 22, this is an extension of the same narration of Aisha radiallahu anha in Al-Bukhari al-Muslim. That when Allah revealed her innocence from amongst those people who had spread those rumors and spoken about her, was this companion Mistah ibn Uthatha radiallahu anhu from as we said the early muhajireen and from the companions of Badr and we mentioned previously the status and the virtues and the rewards of the people of Badr and their status in Islam and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in this verse or the hadith rather than Bukhari and Muslim mentions that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu took an oath that he wouldn't spend upon Mistah anymore and they said that Mistah was the first cousin of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and Abu Bakr would provide for him, and he would spend upon him. And so, Mistah, because of his involvement, Abu Bakr made an oath that he wouldn't spend upon him anymore. Not that he would exactly venture or do anything else, simply that he wouldn't give him any more sadaqah. So Allah revealed this verse, telling him that he should forgive and pardon, in turn for Allah's forgiveness. And so he did so. And here is an important point, because often when this story is being told, the companion Mistah radiallahu anhu, is mentioned in sometimes a derogatory way because of his involvement in this story. But Mistah is a senior companion from the companions of Badr. And those companions have an amazing status in our religion and no one is free from sin or from making mistakes or from doing wrong. And Allah is the one who subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the status of these companions radiallahu anhum ajma'in. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَرْمُونَ الْمُحْصَنَاتِ الْغَافِلَاتِ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ لُعِنُوا فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ Those who accuse women who are chaste as regards fornication but who are careless, ingenuous regarding foul actions, 
so that it does not occur to them to commit them. But believe in Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, are cursed in both this world and the next, and they will have a terrible punishment. In verse 23, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that it is from the deadly sins, the seven destructive sins, from them is to slander someone who is innocent. يَوْمَ تَشْهَدُ عَلَيْهِمْ أَلْسِنَتُهُمْ وَأَيْدِيهِمْ وَأَرْجُلُهُمْ بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ On the day of rising when their tongues and hands and feet will testify. Read as تَشْهَدُ and يَشْهَدُ Against them about what they were doing in respect of both words and deeds. On that day Allah will pay them in full what is due to them. Meaning we pay them with the repayment which they deserve. وَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْحَقُّ الْمُبِينَ and they will know that Allah is a clear truth because He will give them the repayment which they doubted they would receive. These include Abdullah ibn Ubay. Here the chaste women referred to were the wives of the Prophet There is no mention of repentance for slandering them being accepted, although repentance is possible where other women are concerned. Corrupt women or possibly corrupt words are for corrupt men, meaning people. And corrupt men, meaning people, are for corrupt women, or possibly use corrupt words. Good women, or possibly good words, are for good men, meaning people. And good men, meaning people, are for good women, or possibly use good words. The latter are innocent of what they say. Those good men and good women, including Aisha and Safwan, are exonerated from the accusations the corrupt men and women made. They, meaning the good men and women, will have forgiveness and generous provision in the garden. Aisha boasted of many things, one of which was that she was created good and was promised forgiveness and generous provision. In verse 26, the commentary that is given here is actually uh, very confusing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Corrupt in the feminine form, a corrupt for in the masculine form, with the alif and ta at the end of these words, is the feminine form, and with the waw and the noon, for the ya and the noon is for the masculine form. One of the explanations, one of the tafasir that is given here, and the one that the uh, translator has chosen, is that it is apparent, meaning corrupt men only marry corrupt women, and corrupt women only marry corrupt men, and good men marry good women, and good women marry good men. That is one tafsir, but that is the minority opinion. The vast majority of the scholars of tafsir, including Al-Tabari, Ibn Kathir, and many others amongst the Salaf, are of the other opinion, the or, meaning that corrupt words are for corrupt men, and corrupt men are for corrupt words. So the Alif and Ta doesn't refer to women, it refers to their statements, their words. And because words are an inanimate object, they are used in the, in the feminine plural. And likewise, good words are for good men and good words are for good women. And this is a better tafsir and one that is more in line with the context of what is being spoken about in the sand of Aisha meaning that those people who spread evil words and spread evil rumors are those people who are evil. It is evil people who spread evil words and it is good and pure people who spread good and pure words. And that is a better tafsir, not least because with the other tafsir of it being corrupt men for corrupt women and only good men are for good women, the, one of the issues with that tafsir is then how do we explain that some of the prophets of Allah were married to disbelieving women like Nuh and Lut If Allah is saying that only evil men are for evil women, how can a prophet of Allah then marry 
even women because they are disbelievers. And so the tafsir of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir is a better tafsir than the one that is often used in translations of the Qur'an when coming to this verse. And Allah knows best. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَدْخُلُوا بُيُوتًا غَيْرَ بُيُوتِكُمْ حَتَّى تَسْتَأْنِسُوا وَتُسَلِّمُوا عَلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا You who believe do not enter houses other than your own until you have asked permission and greeted their inhabitants. One should say, peace be upon you. May I come in? As is reported in hadith. ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ That is better for you than entering without permission so that perhaps you'll pay heed and act accordingly. And this is also from the in verse 27 from the etiquettes of modesty that when you come to someone's house you seek permission you knock on the door before you enter you seek permission especially in the time of the Prophet ﷺ when you didn't have doorbells and you didn't have video cameras and you didn't have CCTV and you didn't have all of the stuff that we have now what you have simply is a curtain or some type of a veil that, that encloses the house and so you seek permission because it's very open to very easy to open up that veil just as today it's very easy sometimes to look into someone's window and see what they're doing. So it is from modesty that you seek permission. The Prophet ﷺ said, when you go to someone's house, seek permission three times. And if you're given permission, enter. And if not, then return. Meaning it's not a good time. And for people to become offended, if someone, even if you know the car's home and they're clearly home, and they don't open the door after three times, it means that it's just not a good time. It doesn't mean anything more. And that is from the etiquette of seeking permission. From the etiquette of seeking permission is that if you're asked about who you are, you clearly name who you are. In the hadith of Jabir in this regard in Bukhari and Muslim, he says, I came to the house of the Prophet and I sought permission to enter. So the Prophet said, who is it? And I said, it's me. We often say that, it's me. The Prophet said, me, me, me. Meaning, how is that helping someone who asks you a question, who you are? Saying it's me doesn't help them. You clearly state who it is that you are. فَإِن لَّمْ تَجِدُوا فِيهَا أَحَدًا فَلَا تَدْخُلُوهَا حَتَّىٰ يُؤْذَنَ لَكُمْ And if you find no one at home, do not go in until permission has been granted you. وَإِن قِيلَ لَكُمْ رُجِعُوا فَرُجِعُوا If you are told to go away, then go away. هُوَ أَزْكَىٰ لَكُمْ That is purer and better for you than to remain sitting at the door. وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ عَلِيمٌ Allah knows what you do with respect to entering with permission or without it and will repay you for it. وَإِنْ قِيلَ لَكُمْ مُرْجِعُوا فَرْجِعُوا If you're told to go, then go back. Meaning that it's not a convenient time for those people. And obviously in our day and time now with phones and messaging services, you can probably determine that before you make that trip. لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَدْخُلُوا بُيُوتًا غَيْرَ مَسْكُونَةٍ فِيهَا مَتَاعٌ لَكُمْ there is nothing wrong in your entering houses where no one lives and where there is some service for you, such as staying there or the like, which is the case with rooms in hotels. Allah knows what you divulge and what you conceal, with respect to entering other houses than your own for the purpose of a gaining of gaining a benefit or something else. It will be mentioned that when people enter their own houses, they should greet their own households. Say to the believers that they should lower their eyes and not look at what is not lawful for them to look at and guard their private parts from what is not lawful for them. That is purer and better for them. Allah is aware of what they do with their eyes and private parts and will repay them for it. وَقُلْ لِلْمُؤْمِنَاتِ يَغْضُضْنَ مِنْ أَبْصَارِهِنَّ وَيَحْفَظْنَ فُرُوجَهُنَّ وَلَا يُبْدِينَ زِينَتَهُنَّ إِلَّا مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا 
Say to the believing women that, sh- that they should lower their eyes and, that, and not look at what is not lawful for them to look at and guard their private parts from what is not lawful for them and not display their adornments except what normally shows which is the face and hands. It is permitted for a non-related male to look at them if he does not fear temptation from doing so. Another person may be forbidden that because he may be tempted. And draw their head coverings across their breasts, covering their heads, necks, and bosoms with cloth. أو نسائهن أو ما ملكت أيمانهن أو التابعين غير أولي الإربة من الرجال أو الطفل الذين لم يظهروا على عورات النساء. They should only display their hidden adornments, a reference to everything other than their faces and hands, to their husbands, or their fathers, or their husbands' fathers, or their sons, or their husbands' sons, or their brothers, or their brothers' sons, or their sisters' sons, or other women, or those their own as slaves. It is permitted for the categories mentioned to look at the rest of the body, except what is between the navel and the knees, which is forbidden to everyone other than spouses. Unbelieving women are excluded from this. It is not permitted for Muslim women to uncover themselves before them. Slaves includes male slaves or their male attendants who have no sexual desire and no need of women as they are impotent, or children who still have no awareness of women's private parts and are not aware of sexual matters. Women may display to them other than what is between their navels and knees. Nor should they stamp their feet so that the hidden ornaments are known, referring to making the sound of their anklets heard. وَتُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا أَيُّهَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ Turn to Allah, every one of you, believers, in repentance for what has occurred in respect of looking at what is forbidden and for other things, so that perhaps you will have success by having your repentance accepted. In these verses, verses number 30 and 31, Allah speaks about another form of modesty, and that is lowering the gaze, and not dressing in a manner or exposing parts of your body in a manner that may be tempting to others. In a sexual manner. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 31 he says, And not display their garments illa ma dhahara minha, except for what normally shows. And one of the tafasir of that is, as Al Mahalli rahimahullah mentions, which is that it refers to the face and hands. And amongst other scholars, and especially those scholars who say that even the face and hands is not allowed to be exposed, the meaning of illa ma dhahara minha, except for what normally shows, means unintentionally. What is shown? Normally without intention, meaning it is exposed unintentionally. That is what they say that it refers to. And that is a tafsir that you will find in the early collections of tafsir also, like At-Tabari, rahimahullah, and others will mention that as a valid tafsir. And that is the tafsir of those scholars who then say that even the hands and the, and the face are not something which should be exposed to non-male relatives. One of the points that is mentioned here on the next page, 757, is that it is not permitted for women to uncover themselves before non-Muslim women. Unbelieving women are excluded from this. And that is the position of the Shafi'i Madhab. That even non-Muslim women, Muslim women shouldn't uncover themselves more than their hands and face on that opinion. Meaning that they should complete their full hijab and jilbab. And the reasoning for that is that they say, lest those disbelieving women should go and describe the believing women to their male relatives and so on. 
And that is one position, but the stronger position, and Allah knows best, and it's the position that Shaykh bin Baz, rahimahullah, and others chose, is that it is allowed and permissible. Because it is reported that Aisha radiallahu anha, that the Jewish women of Medina would enter upon her, and she wouldn't cover herself up in their presence. And Allah knows best. وَأَنْكِحُوا الْأَيَامَ مِنْكُمْ وَالصَّالِحِينَ مِنْ عِبَادِكُمْ وَإِمَائِكُمْ Marry off those among you who are unmarried, meaning those three people who have no husbands or wives, whether virgin or previously married, and those of your slaves and slave girls who are righteous believers. If they, meaning the three, are poor, Allah will enrich them by marriage from His bounty. Allah is all encompassing of His creation, all knowing them. وَلْيَسْتَعْفِفِ الَّذِينَ لَا يَجِدُونَ نِكَاحًا حَتَّى يُغْنِيَهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ Those who cannot find adequate means to marry, in other words, enough for a dowry and subsequent maintenance, should be abstinent, refraining from fornication, until Allah reaches them from His bounty, and then marry. وَالَّذِينَ يَبْتَغُونَ الْكِتَابَ مِمَّا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ فَكَاتِبُوهُمْ إِنْ عَلِمْتُمْ فِيهِمْ خَيْرًا If any slaves, male or female, you own want to make a kitabah contract to free themselves, write it for them if you know of good in them, meaning trustworthiness and the ability to earn the money to pay off the contract. The wording should be, for instance, I give you a kitabah contract for 2,000 dirhams to be paid over two months, with 1,000 dirhams to be paid each month. If you pay it, then you are free. The slave then says, I accept. And give, meaning address to the owners, them some of the wealth Allah has given you. To help them to pay what they are obliged to pay. So that is actually reducing what they have obliged them to pay. Do not force your slave girls to prostitute themselves if they desire to be virtuous women. It is only possible to force them if they want to be chaste, out of your desire for the goods of this world. This was revealed about Abdullah ibn Ubay, who used to force his slave girls to prostitute themselves. وَمَنْ يُكْرِهُنَّ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِكْرَاهِهِنَّ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ If anyone forces them, then after they have been forced, Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful to them. In this verse, verse number 33, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a number of rulings that from them is the ruling of the kitabah, al-mukatabah. And a kitabah contract refers to a slave who wishes to purchase their own freedom. So they enter into a contract with their owner, that they will buy and purchase their own freedom through the labor and their work that they do, they will pay off and buy their own freedom. And that's something which Allah Azza wa says, that if you know that they are believers and good and honorable people, that is something which they are, the owners encourage to do, even though it is perhaps detrimental to them, the fact that they lose that labor from their force. But it is good because you give someone their freedom. And that is something which is worth doing. That is what is being referred to in terms of the kitabah contract. And what the author Rahimullah Ta'ala mentions concerning do not force your slave girls to prostitute themselves and he mentions the story of Abdullah ibn Ubay that is an authentic narration collected in Sahih Muslim that Abdullah ibn Ubay would do that and Allah Azza wa Jal forbade the Muslims from doing that. We have sent down clear signs read as Mubayyinat and Mubayyanat to you and the extraordinary example, a reference to the incident involving Aisha. And that of those who passed away before you, such as the story of Yusuf and that of Maryam. 
and an admonition for those who are God-fearing. As in Allah's words, do not let compassion for either of them possess you where Allah's deen is concerned. 24.2 Why then, why when you heard it, did you not, as men and women of the believers, instinctively think good thoughts? Why, when you heard it, did you not say? And Allah warns you never to repeat the like of it again. The God-fearing are singled out because they are the ones who benefit from that. In verse 34, the author, ta'ala, takes this verse in context of the slander of Aisha radiallahu anha and the general issue of modesty. That's why he's saying the example of Aisha or the other examples of modesty that are mentioned in the Quran of Yusuf alayhi salam as we mentioned and Maryam alayhi salatu salam as we have already mentioned. And these verses that he's referring to are the verses that are in this surah that speak about the importance of not speaking evil and so on. Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who illuminates them by means of the sun and the moon. The metaphor of his light in the heart of the believer is that of a niche, an opening in a wall which is not a window, in which a lamp is placed, in which is a lamp. The lamp inside a glass. The glass and the light inside it like a brilliant star. Read as Duriyun, meaning that it drives away the darkness, or Duriyan, meaning like pearls, the lamp. Lit, read as Yuqadu and Tawakada in the past tense, and also Tuqadu. Lit from the oil of a blessed tree, an olive, neither of the east nor of the west, but between them, so there is no harm of heat or cold from it. Its oil all but, but giving off light even if no fire touches it Because of its purity Light by it upon the light of the fire The light of Allah means that his guidance of the believer is a light on top of the light of faith Allah guides to his light meaning the deen of Islam whomever he wills and Allah makes explanatory metaphors for mankind to make it easier for them to understand so that they may reflect and then believe. And Allah has knowledge of all things, including the making of metaphors. Verse 35 is the verse after which the surah is named and is known as the verse of light, Ayatul Nur. And Allah says, Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. And then he gives this parable, subhanahu wa ta'ala, which shows you the preciousness of iman. That iman is like the fire that is lit in the candle, that is encased in the case, and the case is encased in a niche. And some of the scholars said that that is the light of iman, which is found in the heart, which is encased in the chest and the body. So Allah has placed it in the most in the most uh, important of places in the body, but also in the most fragile of parts of the body. And encased it, and encased it, and encased it, because that is how fragile that light or that glow of the candle is. Because even the slightest bit of wind, unless that iman is strong, can blow out that and snuff out that candle. Allah then gives the example of the oil, which some of the scholars said is the Qur'an. And by having the Qur'an, it increases that light and strengthens it because of the guidance and the lessons that are found in the Qur'an. Iman is so strong when it has that light of guidance that even if a match isn't taken to it, it is already burning bright. And it is something which a person can see. And this is the example that Allah gives in the parable of Iman. 
في بيوت أذن الله أن ترفع ويذكر فيها اسمه يسبح له فيها بالغدو والآصال رجال In houses which Allah has permitted to be built and in which his name is remembered, they are men who proclaim his glory, read as yusabbihu and yusabbahu, and pray to him morning and evening. Evening here refers to any time after midday. In this verse, verse number 36, in houses which Allah has permitted to be built, fi buyutin adhinallahu an turfa'a. Some of the scholars are of the opinion that this is a new verse, meaning that it's not connected to verse 35. It is a completely new statement. Fi buyutin. Houses meaning the mosques. Allah has allowed for those houses to be places meaning the mosques. Places where Allah's name is mentioned and he is worshipped. And the other opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir which is the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah and chosen by Shaykh ibn Sa'di, who is the teacher of Shaykh ibn Taymiyyah is that the word fi buyutin is an extension of verse 35. That just as Allah azza wa places the light in the heart of the believer, so Allah has placed light in his houses as well, meaning the masajid. And that is a good tafsir also, because we know that the houses of Allah Azza wa are from the most beloved of places to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the face of this earth. And so therefore it is an extension of the statement, just as Allah has placed light in the hearts of the believers, so the houses of Allah are enlightened as well, illuminated, and in them Allah has permitted that, they, that his name be remembered and so on. لا تلهيهم تجارة ولا بيع عن ذكر الله وإقام الصلاة وإيتاء الزكاة يخافون يوما تتقلب فيه القلوب والأبصار. Not distracted by trade or commerce from the remembrance of Allah and the establishment of the prayer and the payment of zakat. They fear a day when all hearts and eyes will be in turmoil from fear because people's hearts will be between salvation and destruction and their eyes will be darting to the right and the left. This is the day of rising. So that Allah may reward them for the best of what they did, meaning their good actions, and give them more from His unbounded favor. Allah provides for anyone He wills without reckoning. When someone provides without reckoning, it means that they are generous to the point of not accounting for what they spend. But the actions of those who disbelieve are like a mirage in the desert. A mirage is an effect to be seen in the desert coming from the light of the sun during the second half of the day of intense heat, which appears as if it were water flowing over the land. A thirsty man thinks it is water, but when he reaches it, he finds it to be nothing at all, not what he thought it was. It is the same with an unbeliever who supposes that his actions, like sadaqa, will benefit him, and then when he dies, finds that his actions are of no use at all. But he finds Allah there. He will pay him his account in full for what he did in this world. Allah is swift at reckoning and repayment. Or they, the evil deeds of those who are unbelievers, are like the darkness of a fathomless sea which is covered by waves above which are waves above, which are clouds. These being layers of darkness, one upon the other. The darkness of the sea, the darkness of the surface waves, and the darkness of the clouds. 
If he puts out his hand in this darkness, he can scarcely see it. Those Allah gives no light, to have no light. Whoever is not guided by Allah is not guided. In verses 39 and 40, Allah gives the example of the opposite people of Iman, the people who have disbelief. In verse 40, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they are like the darkness of a fathomless sea. Which is covered by waves, above, above which are waves, above which are clouds, meaning that they are in darkness upon darkness upon darkness. 39 and 40, these two verses, some of the scholars say that there are two parables concerning the same group of people, disbelievers. Allah mentions two parables concerning them. Another, such as Ibn Kathir, say, there are two parables for two different groups of disbelievers. So the first group are those people who act and think that their actions will save them. But because of their disbelief, they have nothing. So they think that they can give sadaqah, that they're doing good, and those actions will save them. Despite their disbelief, Allah says no. Their actions are like a mirage. They think that they will benefit, benefit them, but when they come to them, they will find that they are actually nothing. A pure image. And the second group are those who don't even do that. So they are upon darkness, upon darkness, upon darkness. أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يُسَبِّحُ لَهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَالطَّيْرُ صَافَّاتِ Do you not see that everyone in the heavens and earth glorifies Allah? And the prayer is an aspect of glorification, as do the birds with their outspread wings, suspended between heaven and earth. كُلٌّ قَدْ عَلِمَ صَلَاتَهُ وَتَسْبِيحَهُ Each one knows its prayer and glorification of Allah. وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِمَا يَفْعَلُونَ Allah knows what they do. وَلِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ The kingdom of the heavens and earth belongs to Allah. The treasures of the rain, provision and plants. وَإِلَى اللَّهِ الْمَصِيرِ And Allah is the final destination. أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يُسْجِي سَحَابًا ثُمَّ يُؤَلِّفُ بَيْنَهُ ثُمَّ يَجْعَلُهُ رُكَامًا فَتَرَ الْوَدَقَ يَخْرُجُ مِنْ خِلَالِهِ Do you not see that Allah propels a cloud with gentleness then makes them coalesce, coalesce making separate clumps into a single one then heaps them up on top of one another and then you see the rain coming, pouring out of the middle of them وَيُنَزِّلُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مِنْ جِبَالٍ فِيهَا مِنْ بَرَدٍ فَيُصِيبُ بِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَصْرِفُهُ عَنْ مَنْ يَشَاءُ And he sends down mountains from the sky with hail inside them, striking with it anyone he wills and averting it from anyone he wills. يَكَادُ سَنَا بَرْقِهِ يَذْهَبُ بِالْأَبْصَارِ The brightness of his lightning almost blinds the sight of anyone who looks at it. يُقَلِّبُ اللَّهُ اللَّيْلَ وَالنَّهَارُ Allah revolves night and day, making one of them come after the other. It's surely a lesson in that, alternation for people with inner sight, indicating the power of Allah Almighty. Allah created every animal from water, meaning sperm. Some of them go crawling on their bellies, like snakes and vermin. Some of them on two legs, like human beings and birds. And some on four, like livestock and similar animals. Allah creates whatever He wills. 
Allah has power of all things. In verse 45, when Allah says that He created every animal from water, Wallahu khalaqa kulla dabatin min ma. We mentioned something similar in the verse in Surah Al Anbiya yesterday when Allah says, Waja'alna min al ma'i kulla shayin hai. And that is that the scholars have two different approaches as to what the water is referring to. Is it water in general? That every single uh, creature of Allah was created from water? Or does it refer to sperm? And we said that those are both two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. Here you can see Al-Mahalli chose that it's sperm because here Allah is speaking about animals and creations of Allah, birds and humans and animals. And so he takes that position and Allah knows best. لَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا آيَاتٍ مُبَيِّنَاتٍ We have sent down signs, meaning the Qur'an, making things clear. وَاللَّهُ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ Allah guides whomever He wills to a straight path, meaning the deen of Islam. وَيَقُولُونَ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالرَّسُولِ وَأَطَعْنَا They, meaning the hypocrites, say, we believe in the unity of Allah and in the Messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we obey what Allah and His Messenger prescribe, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. ثُمَّ يَتَوَلَّى فَرِيقٌ مِّنْهُمْ مِّنْ بَعْدِ ذَلِكَ Then after that, a group of them turn away. وَمَا أُولَٰئِكَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ Such people are not believers. Those who turn away are not believers. The latter are people whose hearts are in agreement with their tongues. وَإِذَا دُعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ لِيَحْكُمَ بَيْنَهُمْ إِذَا فَرِيقٌ مِّنْهُمْ مُعْنِضُونَ When they are summoned to Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who conveys the message, so that he may judge between them, a group of them immediately turn away. وَإِنْ يَكُلْ لَهُمُ الْحَقُّ يَأْتُوا إِلَيْهِ مُذْعِنِينَ But if right is on their side, they come to him most submissively, meaning swiftly in obedience. أَفِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ أَمِ ارْتَابُوا أَمْ يَخَافُونَ أَنْ يَحِيثَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ وَرَسُولُهُ Is there a sickness of unbelief in their hearts, or do they have misgivings about his prophethood, or do they fear that Allah and his Messenger, صلى الله عليه وسلم, will be unjust to them regarding judgment? بَلْ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ No, it is simply that they are wrongdoers by turning away. إِنَّمَا كَانَ قَوْلَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذَا دُعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ لِيَحْكُمَ بَيْنَهُمْ أَنْ يَقُولُوا سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا The reply of the believers when they are summoned to Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so that He can judge between them is to say we hear and we obey. وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ They are ones who are successful and are saved. وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَخْشَ اللَّهَ وَيَتَّقْهِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْفَائِزُونَ All who obey Allah and His Messenger and have awe of Allah and are fearful of Him and obey Him, they are the ones who are victorious and attain paradise. وَأَقْسَمُوا بِاللَّهِ جَهْدَ أَيْمَانِهِمْ لَإِنْ أَمَرْتَهُمْ لَيَخْمُجُنَّ They have sworn by Allah with their most earnest oaths that if you give them the command, they will go out to do jihad. قُلْ لَا تُقْسِمُوا Say to them, do not swear. Honorable obedience to the Prophet is enough. Meaning, it is better to obey the prohibition than to swear an oath which is not credible. Allah is aware of what you do. Say, obey Allah and obey the Messenger. فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْهِمَا حُمِّلَ وَعَلَيْكُمْ مَا حُمِّلْتُمْ Then if they turn away from obedience to him, he is only responsible for what he is charged with in terms of transmission. And you are responsible for what you are charged with in terms of obedience. 
If you obey him, you will be guided. The messenger is only responsible for clear transmission. In verse 54, this shows the importance of following the sunnah. Allah says, If you obey the Prophet you will be guided. Showing that one of the greatest methods or one of the greatest means of achieving and attaining guidance of Allah is to follow the sunnah of the Prophet and it's when people turn away from the sunnah and from the teachings of the Prophet either because they don't know out of lack of ignorance or they don't return to the books of the sunnah or they are negligent in that regard that is when people start to innovate in their religion and are led away from that path of guidance وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كَمَا اسْتَخْلَفَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ Allah has promised those of you who believe and do right actions that he will make them successes in the land to, to replace the unbelievers as he made those before them successes meaning the tribe of Israel read as استخلف and استخلف to the tyrants and will firmly establish for them their deen with which he is pleased this being Islam which he will cause to dominate other religions he will multiply them in the earth and give them dominance and give them in place read as and as and give them in place of their fear of the unbelievers security Allah kept his promise to them as mentioned and praised them saying they worship me, not associating anything with me. Any who disbelieve after that blessing, such people are deviators. The first of those to disbelieve were those who murdered Uthman. May Allah be pleased with him. And they started to fight one another after having been brothers. Establish the prayer and pay zakat and obey the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so that perhaps mercy will be shown to you. Do not imagine, read as, meaning they should not imagine that those who disbelieve are able to escape Allah and earth. His shelter will be the fire. What an evil destination. You who believe, those who own as slaves and those free people amongst you who have not yet reached puberty, referring to those who are not sexually aware of women, should ask your permission to enter at three times. Before the dawn prayer, when you have undressed at noon, and after the Isha prayer, three times I've making this for you. Times when people remove their clothing. There is nothing wrong for you or them at other times in moving around among yourselves from one to another. At other times, slaves and children may enter without asking permission. In this way, Allah makes the signs clear to you, makes His rulings clear to His creatures. Allah is all-knowing, all-wise in managing it for them. It is said that the ayah of asking permission is abrogated and it is said that it is not. But, but that there is leeway for people not to ask permission. In verse 58, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now goes back to the verses of modesty. 
after beginning the surah with verses that speak about etiquettes of modesty and chastity. In the middle, Allah Azza wa mentioned the verses of light and then those people who obey the Prophet and those who disobey, those who follow and those who do not follow. And now at the end of the surah, Allah Azza wa will return to issues of modesty again. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about those people who in your household are young, meaning children, young people who enter upon you. They are from the tawafun. And the word tawaf is like tawaf, meaning to go round and round again and again, meaning that they constantly are in and out in your presence. You can't ask a three-year-old, for example, that doesn't understand the concept of seeking permission and knocking and so on. You can't expect them to abide by the same rules and etiquettes as those who are older are expected to abide by. And these number of verses that will come now are about the exceptions to those rules of etiquettes and modesty. From them are these people. However, even for them, Allah Azza wa says there are three times that you should try to maintain some discipline with them. And that is when spouses are normally together. In the night time, before Fajr and after Isha, that period of time, and in the Zahira, which is the time of siesta that the Arabs used to take, a nap during the day, the midday nap. Those are the three times that Allah Azza wa mentions. And the author Rahimullah says at the beginning that it said that this verse is abrogated, but the correct opinion in Allah knows best is it's not abrogated. This verse is not abrogated, but it is a verse that its rulings are still applicable. وَإِذَا بَلَغَ الْأَطْفَالُ مِنْكُمُ الْحُلُمَ فَلْيَسْتَأْذِنُوا كَمَا اسْتَأْذَنَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ once your children have reached puberty, they should ask your permission to enter at all times. As those before them, meaning adults, also ask permission. In this way, Allah makes his signs clear to you. Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. As for women who are past childbearing age, meaning past the age of menstruation, and no longer have any hope of getting married, there is nothing wrong in their removing their outer clothes, meaning their outer covering, cloak and veil, dina', above the head covering, provided they do not flaunt their adornments, such as necklaces, bracelets, and anklets. But to refrain from doing so, meaning removing them, is better for them. Allah is all hearing of what you say, all knowing of what is in your hearts. In verse 60, this is another exception to those rules and general rules of hijab. And that is for the elderly women, those women who are past the age of childbearing and even beyond that. It is for those women who are the qawaid, the qawaid, those women who are in old age, who no longer seek marriage and no longer seek those types of things that the youngsters amongst us do. And for them, for them to take off or to have a slightly lesser hijab in which they preserve their modesty but they don't have to go through all of the outer covering and so on because it is difficult for them to put it on and to take it off because of their old age and their, and their weakness and, their, and the infirmity of their, of their situation Allah Azza wa has made a concession for them it is better for them to do so to continue and that is more modest and chaste but if they find it physically difficult to do so some of our aunties, some of our grandmothers in their 70s, their 80s, their 90s, to expect them to do that, that is not something which Allah Azza wa has placed upon them. <coughs> there is no objection to the blind, no objection to the lame, and no objection to the sick, or to yourselves eating in your own houses, meaning your children's houses. 
أو بيوت آبائكم أو بيوت أمهاتكم أو بيوت إخوانكم أو بيوت أخواتكم أو بيوت أعمامكم أو بيوت عماتكم أو بيوت أخوالكم أو بيوت خالاتكم أو بيوت خالاتكم أو ما ملكتم مفاتحه أو صديقكم or your father's houses, or your mother's houses, or your brother's houses, or your sister's houses, or the houses of your paternal uncles or paternal aunts, or the houses of your maternal uncles or maternal aunts, or places to which you own the keys, meaning houses which belong to other people whose keys are in your keeping, or those of your friends. It is permitted to eat in the houses of those who are mentioned, even if they are not present, provided that you know that they will accept it. ليس عليكم جناح أن تأكلوا جميعا أو أشتاتا There is nothing wrong in your eating together or eating separately So that each one eats on his own Otherwise, if he did not find anyone to eat with He might abandon eating altogether فإذا دخلتم بيوتا فسلموا على أنفسكم تحية من عند الله مباركة طيبة And when you enter houses whose people are absent, greet one another. Say, peace be upon us, and on the righteous slaves of Allah. And angels will reply, if the inhabitants are there, then greet them, with a greeting from Allah, blessed and good, for which Allah will reward you. In this way, Allah makes the signs of his deen clear to you, so that perhaps you will use your intellect and understand. In verse 61, these are also from the concessions for certain groups of people that they don't have to abide by the same rules as others do, from them are the blind, because a blind person may not necessarily know, for example, they may inadvertently expose some of their aura, they may, for example, be in a situation where they have compromised themselves because they can't see what they are doing. Likewise, the a'raj, the a'raj is the one who has a disability in their leg. So when they sit down and they get up, sometimes they expose some of their body in doing so, especially in the time of the Prophet when people would wear Garments, some of them that are more akin to the ihram They would wear a lower garment Kind of like a, a sarong Where they would sit down and they would wake up And it wouldn't be like they would have trousers on or pajamas And so sometimes because of their leg disability They can't bend their leg It is difficult for them to stand and to sit And so sometimes part of their leg becomes exposed Or for the one who is sick Who has to expose themselves to seek treatment Or because of medication or something These are from the Rules that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from the etiquette that Allah azza wa jalla has given us concessions in. Innamal mu'minun al-lazina amanu billahi wa rasoolihi wa idha kanu ma'ahu ala amrin jami'in lam yazhabu hatta yastazinu. The believers are those who believe in Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and who, when they are with Him, meaning the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on a matter of common concern, such as the khutbah of Jum'ah, do not leave for any reason until they have asked him for permission. Those people who ask you for, for permission are the ones who truly believe in Allah and His Messenger. If they ask your permission to attend to their own affairs, give permission to any of them, you please, and ask Allah's forgiveness for them. Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. In verse 62, this is a verse that is used by scholars to mention one of the etiquettes of seeking knowledge. And that is that you do not leave until you have permission to leave. So if you come to study, as Allah is saying with the Prophet ﷺ when they used to gather to learn or for a khutbah or from some type of teaching, it was not allowed for them, nor is it from their etiquette that they should leave before the Prophet ﷺ left. 
and that is from the etiquette of seeking knowledge that when you come to a circle and you come to a lecture and someone is speaking to leave before the speaker finishes without seeking permission without his permission is not from the etiquette of knowledge even though it has become extremely common today that people leave halfway through and three quarters of the way through and towards the end when they think okay he's nearly done now they just get up and leave that is against the etiquette of seeking knowledge and some of our teachers would be extremely strict in this regard that if they saw someone get up they would call them and say where do you think you're going sit down I am left and that's because that is from the etiquette of seeking knowledge and this may sound strict but it is because of the way that the scholars honor that knowledge and it is when that honoring of knowledge and its importance leaves our hearts and its status diminishes that we have all of the problems that we have in our communities when it comes to knowledge and speakers and all of these other issues and so it is important to bring back some of those, if not all of those, etiquettes and to be strict in them because it's not about me or you or anyone else this is the religion of Allah Azza wa Jal and it is the book of Allah and it is the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam لا تجعلوا دعاء الرسول بينكم كدعاء بعضكم بعضا Do not make your summoning of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the same as your summoning of one another by saying Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam you should rather say Prophet of Allah or Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with gentleness, humbleness and in a low voice قَدْ يَعْلَمُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ يَتَسَلَّلُونَ مِنْكُمْ لِوَاذَا Allah knows those of you who sneak away meaning who leave the mosque during the khutbah without asking permission softly فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَن تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةٌ أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ those who oppose his command, that of Allah and his messenger وسلم, should beware of a testing trial coming to them or a painful punishment striking them in the next world. And this is from the etiquette that the companions were told to abide by when referring to the Prophet وسلم, that they shouldn't address him as they address one another as they would address one another by their name, by their kunya, by their titles. When it comes to the Prophet وسلم, they address him as Prophet of Allah or Messenger of Allah. And that's why in the hadith you find when the companions would come to the Prophet ﷺ, they would say, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, and they would address him by that title. And they wouldn't refer to him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, by his name. And this is, as some of the scholars mention, an etiquette that Allah has made specific to the Prophet ﷺ. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't address the Prophet ﷺ in the Quran by his name either. But Allah calls him, Ya Ayyuhan Nabi, Ya Ayyuhan Rasul. O Messenger, O Prophet, and Allah doesn't address him by his name. He can refer to him by his name in the third person, Muhammadur Rasulullah, Matana Muhammadun, but he doesn't address him by his name. Although he addresses other prophets by the name, Ya Nuhu, Qad Jadaltana, Fakhtarta Jidalana, Ya Isa ibn Maryam, Ya Musa, Innistafaituk ala nas, Allah addresses other prophets in the Quran by their name. But not the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that is from the the virtues of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that Allah bestowed upon him. Everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to Allah, as His kingdom, domain, and slaves. He knows what you are engaged upon in terms of your faith or hypocrisy. You who are responsible. On the day when they are returned to him, a chain from the second to the third person plural, he will inform them of what they did, both good and evil. Allah has knowledge of all things, meaning of what they do and of everything else as well. 
Surah Al-Furqan, discrimination. This surah is Meccan except for ayat 68, 69 and 70. It has 77 ayat and was sent down after Yasin. So this is the 25th surah of the Quran and it is Surah Al-Furqan, which as we've said before, means to distinguish between truth and falsehood, the criterion, something that helps you to distinguish between truth and falsehood. It is a Meccan surah in the opinion of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir. Ibn Kathir al-Qurtubi and others and some of them said like Qatar that there is an exception of some of its verses and it's also said the opinion of al-Dahhaq ibn Muzahim rahimahullah ta'ala one of the earliest followers of tafsir was that the surah is a madani surah the surah is a madani surah but that is the minority opinion the majority of the scholars of tafsir hold the view that it is a Meccan surah and it has 77 verses Bismillahirrahmanirrahim تبارك الذي نزل الفرقان على عبده ليكون للعالمين نذيرا Blessed be he, meaning Allah who has sent down the discrimination, meaning the Qur'an Call that because it discriminates between the true and the false to his slave, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam So that he can be a warner about the punishment of Allah to all beings, human beings and jinn, not angels Allah Azzawajal begins this surah by saying tabarak And the only other surah in the Qur'an that begins in the same way is surah al-mulk and the word tabarak is blessed, meaning that every blessing, all blessings and all goodness and all favors and all grace come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the meaning of tabarak. All blessings, all goodness, all favors, all, 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 all grace and bounty comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. الذي له ملك السماوات والأرض ولم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك وخلق كل شيء فقدره تقديرا. He to whom the kingdom of the heavens and the earth belongs. He does not have a son and he has no partner in the kingdom. He created everything and determined it most exactly in balance. And again, as we said before, the word ولد refers to child. وَاتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِهِ آلِهَةً لَا يَخْلُقُونَ شَيْئًا وَهُمْ يُخْلَقُونَ But they, meaning the unbelievers, have adopted gods, meaning idols, apart from him, meaning Allah, which do not create anything but are themselves created. وَلَا يَمْلِكُونَ لِأَنفُسِهِمْ ضَرًّا وَلَا نَفْعًا They have no power to harm or help themselves. وَلَا يَمْلِكُونَ مَوْتًا وَلَا حَيَاتًا وَلَا نُشُورًا they have no power over death or life or resurrection, meaning they cannot bring death or life to anyone, nor can they bring the dead back to life. Those who disbelieve say, this Qur'an is nothing but a lie. He, meaning Muhammad wasallam, has invented, and other people, among the people of the book, have helped him to do it. Allah says, they have brought injustice, meaning unbelief, and falsehood, meaning lies. They say it is myths, meaning fabrications of previous peoples, which he has had transcribed from those people, and which are read out to him, and he memorizes, in the morning and the evening. Allah then refutes them, قُلْ أَنزَلَهُ الَّذِي يَعْلَمُ السِّرَّ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Say, the one who sent it down is he who knows all hidden secrets of the unseen in the heavens and earth. إِنَّهُ كَانَ غَفُورًا رَّحِيمًا He is ever forgiving, most merciful to the believers. 
وقالوا ما لهذا الرسول يأكل الطعام ويمشي في الأسواق لولا أنزل إليه ملك فيكون معه نذيرا They say what is the matter with this messenger that he eats food and walks in the marketplace Why has an angel not been sent down to him to confirm him so that he can be a one along with him أو يلقى إليه كنز أو تكون له جنة يأكل منها why has treasure not been showered down on him from heaven which he can spend so that he does not need to walk in the markets seeking livelihood? Why does he not have a garden to give him food? Read as يأكلو and نأكلو to give us food. A garden with produce he can eat so he has sufficient provision from it for his needs. وَقَالَ الظَّالِمُونَ إِن تَتَّبِعُونَ إِلَّا رَجُلًا مَسْحُورًا The wrongdoers, meaning unbelievers, say to the believers you are merely following a man who is bewitched, who is deluded and has lost his senses. Allah answers them, انظر كيف ضربوا لك الأمثال. See how they make comparative judgments about you, comparing you to someone who is bewitched or who wants more provision or wants a kingdom which can rule. فضلوا فلا يستطيعون سبيلا. They are misguided, away from guidance by that, and cannot find the way to it. تبارك الذي إن شاء أجعل لك خيرا من ذلك جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار ويجعل لك قصورا Blessed be he who, if he wishes, will grant you better than that. He is full of blessings and may give you better than the gardens and treasure. Gardens with the rivers flowing under them, in this world as well as the next world. And he will grant, read as, يجعل and يجعل you palaces. بَلْ كَذَّبُوا بِالسَّاعَةِ But instead, they deny the last hour. وَأَعْتَدْنَا لِمَنْ كَذَّبَ بِالسَّاعَةِ سَعِيرًا And we have prepared a searing, meaning fierce blaze, for those who deny the hour. إِذَا رَأَتْهُمْ مِنْ مَكَانٍ بَعِيدٍ سَمِعُوا لَهَا تَغَيُّبًا وَزَفِيرًا When it sees them coming from a long way off, they will hear it seething, bubbling as in anger as when someone's breast seethes with rage, and rasping, a loud noise. In verse 12, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, إِذَا رَأَتْهُمْ مِنْ مَكَانٍ بَعِيدٍ When it sees them coming from a long way off, meaning that when the people will see Jahannam on the day of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, when they will see it, even though it is a long distance off from them, they will hear it, meaning that they will hear the terror with which it rages. And that is from how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the fire. And in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the sunnah, the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, اشتكت النار إلى ربها فقالت أكل بعضي بعضا The fire of hell complained to its Lord and he said, O oh Lord, indeed parts of me have consumed other parts. So Allah allowed it to take two breaths, one in the summer and one in the winter. The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so the extreme heat that you suffer in the summer and the bitter cold that you feel in the winter is from the breathing of Jahannam. وَإِذَا أُلْقُوا مِنْهَا مَكَانًا ضَيِّقًا مُقَرَّنِينَ دَعَوْ هُنَالِكَ ثُبُورًا When they are flung into a narrow place in it, read as ضَيِّقًا and ضَيِّقًا which bears in on them, describing a place which will constrict those in it, shackled together in chains. Their hands will be shackled to others next with a lot of chains. They will cry out there for destruction. They will be told, لَا تَدَعُوا الْيَوْمَ ثُبُورًا وَاحِدًا وَدَعُوا ثُبُورًا كَثِيرًا do not cry out today for just one destruction. Cry out for many destructions, like your punishment. And that is how severe the fire will be in verses 13 and 14, that when they are thrown into the fire, they will call upon the fire, they will call and say, if only we will be destroyed today. 
Allah says, it is not one destruction that they should seek, but many, because of the severity of that punishment that they will feel in the fire. Not a single destruction, but many that they should call upon themselves, because of how severe the fire will be upon them. May Allah save us. قُلْ أَذَانِكَ خَيْرٌ أَمْ جَنَّةُ الْخُلْدِ الَّتِي يُعِدَ الْمُتَّقُونَ Say, is that better, meaning the, the threat of the punishment and the fire, or the garden of eternal life, which has been promised to those who are God-fearing? كَانَتْ لَهُمْ جَزَاءً وَمَصِيرًا That is a recompense and destination, in Allah's knowledge. لَهُمْ فِيهَا مَا يَشَاءُونَ خَالِدِينَ They will have in it whatever they want timelessly forever. كَانَ عَلَىٰ رَبِّكَ وَعْدًا مَسْؤُولًا It is a binding promise of your Lord. They will ask him about the promise he made. Our Lord, give us what you promised us through your messengers. 3194 Or the angels will ask for them. Our Lord, admit, admit them into the gardens of Adam, which you promised them. 48 On the day he gathers, read as, يَحْشُرُ and نَحْشُرُ We gather them together, and those they worship besides Allah. A reference to the angels, the prophets, Isa, Uzair, and also the jinn. فَيَقُولُ أَأَنْتُمْ أَضْلَلْتُمْ عِبَادِي هَأُولَاءِ أَمْهُمْ ضَلُّ السَّبِيلِ And says, read as, يَقُولُ and نَقُولُ We say, to those worshippers to establish the evidence against those who worship them. Did you misguide these slaves of mine by making them fall into misguidance by commanding them to worship you? Or did they stray from my way, meaning my way of truth, of their own accord? In verse 17, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Allah will gather all of these people. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will question those that they claimed had divinity besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, be that the angels, be that the prophets that they worship, like Isa and Uzair alayhi wa salam, be that uh, the jinn that they claimed were gods besides Allah and everything else. And they will claim, and Allah will question them, did you ask to be worshipped besides Allah? Or did these people take you as gods without your knowledge? And this is something which we mentioned previously towards the end of Surah Al-Ma'idah when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this concerning the Prophet Isa alayhi salatu wassalam. They will say, Glory be to you. This proclaims Allah free of anything which does not befit him. مَا كَانَ يَنْبَغِي لَنَا أَن نَتَّخِذَ مِن دُونِكَ مِنْ أَوْلِيَاءِ it would not have been fitting or correct for us to have taken any protectors apart from you. So, how could we have commanded them to worship us? But you let them and their fathers enjoy themselves by giving them a long life and ample provision so that they forgot the reminder, the admonition and belief in the Qur'an. They were people devoid of good. The word bur, devoid of good, implies destroyed. Allah says, فَقَدْ كَذَّبُوكُمْ بِمَا تَقُولُونَ فَمَا تَسْتَطِيعُونَ صَرْفًا وَلَا نَصْرًا So now they have disowned you. Those who are worshipped will deny those who worship them. For what you said in claiming that they were gods, and you cannot avert it. Read as, تَسْتَطِيعُونَ and يَسْتَطِيعُونَ They cannot avert it, meaning the punishment. Or get any help to defend yourself. وَمَنْ يَظْلِمْ مِنْكُمْ نُذِقُهُ عَذَابًا كَبِيرًا As for anyone among you who has done wrong by committing shirk, we will make him suffer great punishment in the next world. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ مِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِلَّا إِنَّهُمْ لَيَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامَ وَيَمْشُونَ فِي الْأَسْوَاقُ We never sent any messenger before you who did not eat food and walk in the marketplace, meaning you are like the past messengers in that respect. The same as is being said to you was also said to them. وَجَعَلْنَا بَعْضَكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ فِتْنَةٍ 
but we have made some of you a trial for others by testing the poor through the rich, the sick through the healthy, and the lowly through the noble. In all the cases mentioned, the less well, the less well off tends to say, "Why am I not like the first?" To see if you will be steadfast in the trial. This is actually an instruction, which means be steadfast. Your Lord sees everything, meaning those who are steadfast and those who are anxious. Allah Azza wa Jal in this final verse in, uh, final verse for today in verse 20 at the end of the 18th Jews says We have made some of you trials for others and Al-Mahalli mentions the different forms of trials that can exist and there are many others as well but one of the um, additional tafsir that is mentioned by Shaykh Ibn Sa'di which is a good tafsir here as well is he says and likewise the messengers were made a trial for their nations to see whether they would accept and follow their messengers or they would deny them. So yes, there are trials for one another, people are trials for each other, but the messengers and prophets that Allah sent to them are also trials for those nations to see whether they would follow the guidance or whether they would refuse to follow that guidance. And with that we come to the end of the 18th juz of the Qur'an and we will stop here at verse number 20 of Surah Al-Furqan. And inshallah ta'ala with that we come to the end of today's session. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyya Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.